leave the path. Raceland will be all right. The path is in plain sight, not 10 feet away. Come on, you've got to rest. We all Look, I don't think this is dark and wood. According to this map, you are fools. This is dark and wood. <coughs> as you will see before the night is ended. <coughs> but as you say, I need rest. However, I will not leave the path. Ah, Rast, join us. Tass is gone for wood, and maybe I can shoot a rabbit. Shoot nothing. Harm nothing in Darkenwood. <coughs> Neither plant nor tree, bird nor animal. I agree with Raceland. We have to spend the night here. I don't want to kill any animal in this forest if we don't have to. Uh, elves never want to kill, period. The magician scares us to death, and you, you starve us. Well, if anything does attack us tonight, I hope it's edible. Huh, you and me both, dwarf. I didn't cut it, I just picked it up. The wood's wet. Great Riverwind, and we need light. Surely you don't fear children's stories. No. <laughs> I just want to make sure that Kendar doesn't rifle my pack in the dark. Very well. <coughs> Shadok! There, you have light. I will take first watch. I shouldn't sleep with a headwind anyway. I once knew a man who did. He never woke up. We'll watch in twos. I'll take the first watch with you. Soldiers appearing from the woods, but they are without form! Ah, the orcs is near! Their spirits! Rat! No! Come back! Uh, put your swords away! They will do you no good! <laughs> Only a weapon of powerful magic can harm these! Uh, what are those things? They're grabbing Raceland! I'll fight the living any day in the week, but not the dead! <laughs> Raceland! Raceland! Welcome to Darkenwood, Tannis. Pre-recorded in a second-floor guest room filled with tall ales and taller tales. Join a group of grown men intent on discussing the intricacies of fantasy and science fiction. Tim Gilbert Media presents... Dungeons and Weeds! <laughs> <laughs> I took a battle accident. Got it right to the back of her heart. Hello, all you dwarves, halflings, and kenders. This is the Dungeons and Weeds podcast, episode one, Dragons of Autumn Twilight. I'm your host, Bob Tasselhoff, Kender Not the Third, coming to you with the very first podcast of what will go down in the annals of podcast history as a turning point for quality sci-fi and fantasy literature reviews. But I'm not alone. Across the table from me, I have the Grand High Lord of Pax Tharkian Wastes, Luke. <laughs> That's quite the intro and quite the grandiose uh, vision of this podcast, but I'm so excited to finally be here. I have never... in. Uh, consumed a bit of nerd culture and not been able to talk to you guys about it for so freaking long. 
Let's do this to my left, Clob. Hi, this is Clob again, your old crabby man. Uh, I'm here again, as always, to try to shed some light on the history with some of these kids that we have in the room. And remember, kids, the only way you become an old warrior is by knocking everything down in your path. Across the table for me, I have the large man on campus, the big man in the room, the man with the plan. Paul? Plan. I don't. I didn't know I had one yet, but I guess I'll have to come up with one quick. I'm looking forward to doing this podcast. It, as Luke said, it was real hard to not have conversations about these books, and we would have to stop ourselves when we were hanging out to prevent us from talking before the podcast. And if you've listened to episode zero, you have the understanding now that that's what this podcast is going to be. Is is basically four nerdy guys sitting in a room talking about the fantasy and sci-fi literature that we've been reading and we've been dealing with or playing or anything like that. And it's the discussions we would normally have. We just decided to record them and broadcast them to the world because we just kind of feel we're that important. <laughs> right. So let's, let's peel back the veil here and let's, let's talk a little bit about how we got this whole thing together. A lot of us, we're all friends here at the table. We work together and we would find ourselves during lunch having all of these talks about what books and what movies mm-hmm. uh, we were we were watching, um, and all of us are big fans of listening to podcasts. We are just like you guys out there listening to us. We just, we just sat down one day and said, hey, let's get ourselves a mic and record this thing. So we are sitting in a sweaty Ooh. second floor of, uh, room. Uh, it, it is the middle of July. It is hot and sticky, and we are recording this for the love of the game. Yes. And actually, no, it is, it's not hot outside, but it's raining, and we can't open the window. <laughs> <laughs> so why... I'll let you know I may be naked by the end of the group podcast. <laughs> and yes. that would be just fine. Yes. <laughs> All right, so why Dragons of Autumn Twilight? Well, I, I think I can go into um, uh, kind of the basics of why we decided to start on this one. Um, all of us kind of have varying crossovers of things we like to do uh, in our own nerd universes. Um, and most everybody at the table uh, are really big role players. Uh, I myself am not huge in the role playing genre, but um, I have always uh, been attracted to as a child. I'll have to go back, go back in the way back machine. Okay, as to, to how this whole uh, Dragonlance thing got started, I huge reader would love to go to the bookstore, and there in the in the bookshelves, I would see just it's seemingly endless supply of Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms books. Thought the covers were awesome. Always wanted to read them. Did not know where to start. This is before the internet. I had no way of looking up what book one was. And so I would just pick out the next Star Wars book and move on. Um, So always I was kind of attracted to these Dragonlance novels. When uh, the group of friends was really into this, I I thought, hey, what kind of podcast could bridge the gap here? Give us something all to start, kind of common conversation about Figured, hey, let's do something Dungeons and Dragons. We'll start out with Dragonlance. And uh, from the the research, it seems like everybody who is a fan of the series uh, says this is the place to start uh, with the original three novels called the Dragons... Uh, what do we call this? Uh, just, just Dragonlance. Dra- Dragonlance, but these are this is called the Chronicles. Dragonlance Chronicles. Okay, yes. Yeah, Dragonlance Chronicles, the first series of three books... 
um, by Tracy Hickman and, and Margaret Weiss. Um, and so this is where we decided to, uh, to start. The Dragonlance Chronicles, uh, distributed by TSR. Right. Um, and I kind of I have a little bit of a a little bit of a history here, and I I, I, had, I had a lot of fun digging into this. Um, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons myself, um, but I started playing uh, maybe what a year year and a half ago. Year we and started half. in version three point five. I dabble a little bit in version five um, afterwards, and really, I mean. So diving back into the history of all this has been so much fun. Um, you know, going all the way back to the original. It's not even version one. The original uh, du- version of Dungeons and Dragons had three classes. You were either a fighter man, a cleric, or a magic user. You had four classes. You were a human, an elf, a dwarf, or a hobbit. I remember playing that actual series, too. And from going in now and playing over the years, and like there's so many things that have come out with class and race and everything else that you can play right now. Uh, you guys who just started wouldn't believe that you you could make up a character fairly quickly yeah. <laughs> with the original <laughs> with the original series because you just had that limited of choices of what you were able to do. Yeah, and it actually, and this, um, kind of going to my notes here. Hold on one second. <laughs> um, the yeah, well, and even when you were playing the original, I guess I'm, I'm just I'm telling Club, I'm telling you something that you already know. Uh, but to the, for the listeners, uh, when you're playing the original, it actually it assumed that you knew the rules to the miniature war game chainmail. Um, mm-hmm. It also assumed that you knew the rules to outdoor survival. So it's like you bought this box set. It wasn't even like the the uh, the version that we know and love today, where it's you you get the the three books. Um, you bought this box set and just kind of assumed that you knew all these things. And that is actually um, around the year it was 1977 to 1979. That is when Advanced Dungeons and Dragons came out. Right. And what that means is that is the start of the version that we that we know and love, where it has your books, your three books, your player's handbook, your dungeon master's guide, and your monster manual. You get these three books, you can read these three books, and you can play the game. You don't need to know the random board game of Chainmail Miniature Warfare. Um, So this was, uh, the books came out, um, actually, let me... And this was was kind of a a sparking, really, of kind of role-playing. I mean, this is uh, really Gary Gygax, right, is the guy who came up with Dungeons & Dragons? Yes, the original. The original, and and him and Don Kay are the ones who founded this TSR. It stands for Tactical Studies Rules. It starts in 1973, and and really kind of ushers in this whole new genre of uh, role-playing games, which, uh, at the time, by the time we get to the end of the 70s into the early 80s, uh, I guess we really should talk about it, kind of starts some forms of firestorms of controversy uh, because of perceived ideas of, uh, you know, uh, satanic elements in the game, um, possibilities of people having committed suicide playing the game. So uh, Dungeons and Dragons was always kind of swirling in the 70s, early 80s, with kind of this air of controversy, which again, as a as a young child in the 80s, only lent its attraction uh, <laughs> to me. And it also added to the appeal, too, when you're looking at, you know, how many of us, you know, reading Tolkien, reading Lord of the Rings, reading these things and wanting to go, oh, God, I'd love to do that, or I'd at least love to pretend to do that. You know, right. six, six, seven, eight years old, and you're out in the backyard beating your brother with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> right. And now you have, now you can get, as you get older, and you get into the whole, like, mind game aspect of it. And I will say, talking with people who haven't really heard of Dungeons & Dragons, things like that, just 
telling them you can do whatever you want in the game, you can see in their eyes and their faces the interest all of a sudden lights right. up. And just to be reading through some of these books that were based off of that and all of those things is just fascinating. For right, me. and I do feel Dungeons & Dragons has carried with it kind of the baggage from the 70s and 80s. Yes. Uh, that initial, when it initially hit kind of the cultural zeitgeist, from that point on it's been slowly trying to shed its scaly dragon skin, I guess, <laughs> uh, and kind of emerge as something uh, different, and it's becoming more and more salt, uh, culturally kind of you know, well, um, it's, acceptable. It's the one that started it all. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you go into, you know, different things like I mentioned on episode zero of, you know, Masquerade Riffs. They came out with Star Wars. They There's a Star, a Star Wars. Wars yeah, that I Pathfinder. Pathfinder is a very popular one. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is uh, not necessarily a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. We are going to be reviewing the book. So how do we get to Dragons of Autumn Twilight? And how does a a role playing game company all of a sudden bridge into publishing? Uh, books. In fact, some people say it's this publishing aspect and other things that maybe brought down the company. It should be mentioned, TSR is no longer publishing anything and went out of existence in, in 95, 96. Um, so, uh, just kind of going back in the Wayback Machine, 1983 TSR splits into four different companies uh, as, as a way to try to, you know, maximize its potential in different segments of the economy. Uh, Guy Gax, the guy who started it, decides to go into the entertainment world and try to get movies made. That kind of falls through, and what ends up happening is the cartoon gets made, which uh, maybe some of us... I was no. a huge, I'm still a huge <laughs> fan of the cartoon. The Dungeons I and love the campiness of the. Of the it's old a Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons ride. Yes, <laughs> I love that though, and right. just what it was. And I remember watching that. And actually, I've recently rebought the set and rewatched it. I might have um, to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, that was it. Was a commercial aspect, and that was act that that Rinky Dink '80s cartoon was actually what got me interested in. Okay, well, really, what is Dungeons and Dragons? And, you know, I know that there's a, another universe or another multiverse, if you will, right. out there beyond this cartoon that I really love as a seven, eight year old. Right. You and know, what is there out there? And I'm no expert uh, by any means on the ins and outs of Dungeons and Dragons or even the inside of TSR as a as a game developer. But from my understanding and from what I've gleaned kind of from researching this, uh, TSR then, and you were talking about the, the coming of advanced Dungeons and Dragons, yes. right? And what year was that around? 80? Yeah, about ni- ni- uh, 1977 to about 1979. And okay. this... What was this book? Was uh, 1984? It, yeah, 84 is when So, I, I mean, it, it, it makes sense that that was, you know, that w- those rules were established, and they're like, well, what do we do? How do we get people into this? So, what uh, TSR did was um, they had uh, Tracy e. Hickman um, started designing this campaign. I actually have it in my hand. I was able to find it online. Yeah. Um, there's this huge... I, I, uh, Campaign and it's built up of sixteen modules. Wow. It is absolutely massive. Right. So you have this whole campaign that is out there, um, and then these books start coming out. And these books, I mean, for the most part, uh, with Dragon's Bottom, Autumn Twilight, I have uh, Dragonlance Module One and Module Two over here. Right. Basically, follows the entire book. 
right. to a T, except for the ending. Yeah, so let's get into this. This Tracy Hickman guy. So from my understanding, Tracy Hickman and his wife, Laura Hickman, I mean, what a match made in heaven, I mean, to be married and be able to do this stuff together as a couple. But both of them were into writing uh, these games. Both of them have written their own games, one called Rasia. I have no idea what that is. The other one called Pharaoh. And they uh, couldn't find a publisher. They published them, I believe, themselves uh, and then approached TSR with it. Um, and uh, TSR took them up on the offer. And uh, they ended up go- developing some games that probably people listening might have heard of. One of them called uh, Ravenloft. Raven- kind of, oh, yeah. Ravenloft. A part of this uh, whole Dungeons and Dragons, uh, different realms kind of thing. Um, but anyway. TSR then got this kind of idea. This was all kind of a corporate decision, really. We are going to further push the envelope, to my understanding, of Dungeons & Dragons by instead of just creating generic characters, we are going to give a storyline that people coming into the Dungeons & Dragons world, you can play one of the characters we've already created. So we're going to write this world called Dragonlance. We're going to populate it with these companions, which the book we have read has that's who our protagonists are are is this group of companions people will read can read the book then they can go to their own campaign and play as these characters yeah and that's actually i in this, this packet here i you, you can see um you know what level these uh characters in the book are what class they are and it's super interesting especially coming from somebody who has played dungeons and dragons read this book and like i really i mean i had no idea when i was reading this book about any of this uh, going back, seeing the actual uh, module for the adventure, and really just getting to see, oh wow, like really connecting those dots of like right. the story well, and the mechanics of the game. And I think one of the impetus for doing the story and the you know the novel itself, and then the campaigns within the novel too, it goes both ways. Right. You can read the novel and then want to play as one of the characters, or maybe you played as one of the characters, which was actually the way that I the, the way that I've done a couple of these different things in the past, where you've played at the characters and then all of a sudden you pick up the book and go, "Oh my God, this was the character I played. I wonder how they made decisions here." And then you're mm-hmm. so it, I I think that was really part of the mindset um, when they were putting this together to try to sell it was yeah. you can go either way. You can right. start with either one. But you're gonna buy both of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and it's oh, my understanding that execs were divided on this. There were some of the execs at TSR that loved this idea. There was people who had come out and said this is gonna bankrupt it. That for whatever reason, people aren't gonna accept this whole. You know, that the attraction of Dungeons and Dragons is that you create your own character and this kind of pre-made, read the book, do the character thing. I personally, I think it's a great kind of stepping stone idea. I'm not a player of Dungeons and Dragons, but I feel like this would would be a great intro into the game or a way of furthering your love for the game or just a little extra flavor. Hey, you want to go out for a different type of food tonight? Go to the world of Dragonlance. Or a great start. Or a great For somebody who really, you know, hasn't sat down and gone through, you know, the hours and, you know, debates and the decisions in your head on when you're making that initial character for a campaign. Right. On who they're going to be and what they're going to be. Here, you know, here you have... This is what this character is. This is what this how this character is going to act. And so, for somebody coming in, I could see how that would be a great benefit too, because of the fact that you ninety percent of those decisions have already been made for you. Right. So, as Luke has already said, there's these modules that came out. So, I, I think um, it bears on saying we're going to be reviewing and spoiling the heck out of Dragons of Autumn Twilight, um, but. This will kind of lend to what my thoughts on the book are, so I, I need to make sure this gets out there, is, is that this this book was created kind of as a business decision of we've created these modules, 
We're going to get the guy who helped create the modules, Tracy Hickman, uh, to kind of spearhead a story, which he does. They looked at hiring an author to do it, and that kind of fell through. And by the time uh, the author kind of thing didn't work, uh, both Hickman, who to my understanding hadn't written a book before, and, and Margaret Weiss, who was brought in as an editor, decided they were too invested in the characters, too invested in the storyline. They were going to head this thing, and, and I think it was probably just guys sitting around the table going, we can do this. We're going to yep. write this book, you know? So um, that does play into maybe later on thoughts on the book and, and, and how, how it plays out. Um, but this it, this is their first outing, to my understanding, Hickman and Weiss, as book writers. Now, they've gone on to write tons of, of novels, um, Weiss and Hickman, uh, and have become well-respected uh, in the genre. And that's one of those things, like you said, too, is... Us sitting in this room after reading this novel, after looking at you know some of the history of this, this is going to be a spoiler. Oh, you should read. You should read the book first. I'm telling you that. Or if you don't want to read the, or if you're never going to read the book, then that's fine too. But if you're looking for us not to spoil things from the book, we're going to be spoiling things for the book because we're meant to be like the third companion piece here. You have the role-playing game, you have the novel, now you have four idiots in a room talking about the novel. We're meant to all of us go together, so there's going to be plot points and there's going to be all that information that's going to go in with that. Exactly. So yeah, with that being said, why don't you, if you have not read and you do not want spoilers, stop listening now. And Bob, why don't you give us a synopsis? Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. TSR Publishing, 1984. The World of Crin. 300 years after the great cataclysm shattered the land with earthquakes, disease, and great pestilence, the gods have left Kryn, leaving mortals to fend for themselves. Over the centuries, the inhabitants of Kryn have lost faith in the gods, and the races have once again renewed old distrusts and prejudices. But one god is desperately trying to return to the land of Kryn. Tachesis, queen of darkness, has used her dark powers to create a gateway to the land. Wielding her dark arts, she has summoned an army led by the Dragon High Lords, who are preparing their evil hordes for an invasion. Enter the Companions. The Companions are a group of adventurers who had separated five years earlier in order to seek proof of the true gods of Kryn. Returning to the peaceful village of Solace, they find their homeland under occupation by goblin soldiers. The friends gather at the Inn of the Last Home and discuss all that they have discovered over the last five years. Waited on by a buxom barmaid, Tika, the group is made up of their leader, Tannis, half-elven, Flint, Fireforge, a lovably gruff old dwarf, Sturm Brightblade, a stoic knight of Solomnia, Karaman Majer, a powerful and physically imposing warrior, and his twin brother, Raceland Majer, the dark and brooding red-robed wizard of high sorcery, notable for his golden skin and hourglass eyes and Tasselhoff Burfoot, a small and curious kinder. As fate would have it, they are also two barbarians in the inn. Goldmoon, a statuesque blonde beauty carrying a blue crystal staff, and her lover, the sinewy Riverwind, bringing our cast of characters to eight. But the blue crystal staff carried by Goldmoon has magical healing powers, and after using it to heal a seeker, the companions are forced to flee solace. Pursued by evil draconians, the companions take shelter in the haunted forest of Darkenwood. But there is no rest for the weary as they encounter the guardian ghosts of the forest and are attacked yet again by draconian hordes, only to be saved by centaurs who take them to the forest master. 
An enchanted white unicorn. Yes, I said it. An enchanted white unicorn. We'll get to it. The forest master directs the companions to go to the ruined city of Zaxaroth and find the discs of Mishakal, which are needed to restore the gods to Kryn. The companions eventually make it to Zaxaroth, where they befriend one of the local inhabitants of the deserted and crumbling city, a gully dwarf named Bupu. The bumbling but loyal Bupu leads the companions to the lair of Kisanth, the black dragon who guards the discs of Mishakal. Are you with me? The epic battle ensues and 20-sided dice are rolled with reckless abandon. In the battle, Kisanth is defeated and the companions escape with the discs and a bonus. An ancient spellbook belonging to the archmage Fistendantilus. Inexplicably, the companions go back to Solace to stock up on supplies, only to find it in flames. The companions are captured by the evil armies and forced into a slave caravan where they meet Gilthanus of Qualanesti, the elven nation where Tennis Half-Elven was born. The group is to be brought to Pax Tharkis, where they will be forced into the mines to work. While in chains on the road, the group of friends meets up with Fisben, an old absent-minded mage. Our heroes don't have to wait long in captivity, however, as they are soon freed by Portheos, brother of Gilthanus, and the companions flee to Qualanesti, bringing the number of characters in this group, not counting Boo-Boo, to 12. Just when I thought we were running out. <laughs> well, it couldn't get any more complicated than this. While in Qualanesti... Rivendell, no, Qualanesti, not Rivendell. The companions <laughs> decide to lead an attack on Pax Tharkis and free the slaves. Pax Tharkis is under the iron fist of Dragon Highlord named Lord Vader. I mean, Lord Verminard. The slave children are guarded by an old red dragon named Metaflor who suffers from... Old age. Old age, yeah. dementia. <laughs> Dragon's timer. Dragon something. Dragon's timers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> After befriending the doddering old dragon, the meeting and meeting yet another ally, Elliston, character thirteen, who is covered, who is converted to go by Gold Moon into the first true cleric of the good god Paladin. The epic final battle takes place. Swords are drawn, dragons fight, fight like UFC champions, and heroes fall into giant piles of feathers. Yes, I'm not making this up. In the end, Lord Vader, no, Verminard is defeated, and Goldmoon and Riverwind are married. <gasps> no, wait, there's no more. <laughs> However, the Dark Queen Takesis still threatens Kryn and our heroes. There are heroes are burdened with the knowledge that Takesis and her dark army cannot defeat it until the legendary Dragonlance can be found. And there is the Dragonlance, finally, at the end. Dragonlance, where this novel, series of novels, gets its name. That is a long summary. If you're still sitting there listening... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bless you. Think of what it was like to write notes on this stuff, people. <laughs> So let's get into it. Dragons of Autumn Twilight. That was your summary. Hopefully you've read the book. We have this preface. The book starts out with a preface. Uh, the Old Man. Fisbin. Fisbin. Yes. And is he... Okay, I, I, do, I do need to ask. I got confused. Is he the guy telling stories in The Inn of the Last Home? 
Yes, I believe. Yes. So, yes. so the okay. he, he, yeah, he, that he had, Well, according to this book, he has to be um, either that or we're adding fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen <laughs> yeah. characters in our groups of uh, who are these people? Right. Um, so yeah, so it starts out with it starts out with that, and it starts out with the preface of you know the old man and this idea of. He's entering the inn, right? And we never find out his name until way later in the book when we meet up with him again. And I just, again, going back to the old cartoon, that is is my mental image of Fizbin, is the dungeon master from the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh, really? And this is is where it is so great how, how when you read a novel... Images, everybody's images in their head is their own. I mean, this was totally Gandalf. And I think the image you get in your head is how you are going to interpret sometimes this book. Because I immediately saw Gandalf in this. And that immediately changed my thoughts sometimes on this beginning. I'm like, oh, yeah, Gandalf shows up, right? You know, Tolkien-esque, right? And shows up in this inn. I saw this character because... It should be said, it should be noted that that uh, this old man walks into the Inn of the Last Home, which is this tavern that's in a tree in Solace. In a city that's in within a tree. Within a tree, yeah. Well, it's very cool. I mean, I love the imagery that can come to mind here of these, you know, these people that live in trees, you know. And of course, being the Star Wars, I, you know, being being the Star Wars nuts, too, and having that in our heads, or I just, I have this, like, vision of this town being similar to, like, Kashyyyk. Yeah, right. Yes. That is Way too deep. Just in case people <laughs> listening, you're like, Kashyyyk, everybody was going, Star Wars? I thought he was going to say Ewoks and Endor. Nope, we're going to level <laughs> down, people. <laughs> Kashyyyk, Kashyyyk is the home world of the Wookiees. <laughs> which looks, uh, according which, to the novels, looks nothing like what happened in episode three. Yes, exactly. But that's there, for another that's time. That's what I was going to say. You would, you would obviously know this if you were as big of a fan of the prequels as Claude is. <laughs> no, 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 no
and going through all three because mm-hmm. I, I really do think that there is a ton, especially book three, oh, yeah. has a ton of full circle stuff that you guys, that you'll understand as we'll talk about it later on. But yes, the old man is in the end and he's telling stories to children. And you guys had Gandalf in your head. Yes. Uh-huh. And you had the guy from the cartoon. And, I, and I had, I had a, a complete different version um, in my head because of his speech pattern and because of his actions and because mm. I, I imagine the little old sh- you know the little old guy in the robe that like is a little too big for him maybe right right right, right. he's not he's not regal he's senile right yeah what, what I had was uh, um, the the animated uh, sword in the stone I had Merlin from that yes right yeah that's that's, yeah. that's kind of what I mean that's actually has, kind of a happy that's, medium a, that's a good yeah. a happy yeah. I guess I was thrown also because uh, the the book it's it it bears noting that the book actually has illustrations in it at the beginning of, of every chapter there's little pictures oh, that came along with those what, wonderful chapter titles yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that as long as we're here um, bring it up uh, I. It's fine to title a chapter, but this book, for some reason, gives you a second line that kind of spoils the entire chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, you could meeting, probably go through the party. Somebody's gonna die. <laughs> yeah. What? You oh, could geez. probably go through the whole book reading only the chapter titles and know the entire plot of this yeah, book. You could, yeah, you, you would I'm know it in a bridge version, but <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to flip through it right now and find one of my favorite titles that I just went, oh, well. There we go. Right, and in these ti- and, and while you're looking for it, in these titles, uh, there, there's this artwork that, that you know, so you get kind of the idea of what in your head what draconians look like and things like that, which I think is smart. If yeah. I, I like it. I yeah. like it, and I like the fact though that it's not so much as like the full fledged illustration. Right. It's just it's it's like a pencil sketch. Right. So you know, if you're creating this whole world of creatures and things, uh, you know, that are unfamiliar. I think it's a good idea that, you know, unlike, say, and I'm going to, guys, just get over it. I'm going to be referring to Star Wars a lot because that's my thing. But in That's the Star, who he is. That's who yes. I am. In the Star Wars universe, when you go into books, I mean, um, you've already got movies to reference all of these things back to. So if somebody says a Mon Cal, you know, or whatever, you know what that looks like, right? But in these, I mean, Draconian, you everybody would be picturing something different. I think it's a but that's kind idea. of the fun. that's kind of the fun of... Doing the novels themselves, though, too, is the fact that it does leave a little bit to the imagination. Right. It allows it allows you to personalize the story that much more because you've come up with what you think that these characters actually look like. Right. And see, this is where I got that he looked like Gandalf is because they show Fizbin's hat, which is a Gandalf hat. Oh, yeah. It's just yes, a big, tall Gandalf. I forgot about that, but, yeah. But, but again, I always see in everything with the hat, I always see like the little funneling guy in the robe that's too big, and the hat is <laughs> scrunched and too big. I'm going to have to reread this book with your vision of uh, Fizbin, because that's going <laughs> to be crazy. All right. Did you find it? I found, I found two of them. It was the uh, Farewell to Flint. Right away. Right hey, 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 we'll get there. <laughs> I was just like, Really? That, that title, <laughs> right right away, all right, okay. And then there's another one where it was just the traitor revealed. Like, right. You just told me what, if I really wanted to get through this book quickly, I could just skim quick and look for the three things you just told me, and you just told me the entire chapter. Right, <laughs> exactly. As I say that, though, I'm a reader that I usually just skip. I don't really notice when I go into a new chapter. I just kind of keep reading. Right. So I rarely actually read the titles. Right. Well, and that was one of the things with the right with you know we were talking about the chapters and you know as we so the preface goes along and we have this preface um, 
um, dealing with the old man. And you, if you just kind of, kind of want to finish that off, because there's a couple of things I want to bring up in chapter one here that were just... Oh, we have got to be moving on to chapter one, because that was a long time on this premise. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, chapter one, it is kind of this thing, all of our companions meet up in a tavern. I've heard a lot of people say how this is cliche. Like, Definitely. oh yeah, they start no. up with a tavern. I'm going to I'm gonna defend this, that this is 1984. Besides really Lord of the Rings, there is not a lot out there that is going to be using this whole meet and now it's sitting but in that's part of the game as well. That's yeah. part of the game, and as somebody who has who really hasn't played the game, that's part of the game. No matter what town you go to, no yep. matter what happens when you're playing a D and D campaign, to find out information, right. to try to figure out your, where the DM wants you to go for your next step, you right. always go to right. the tavern. Sitting in 2017, this is cliche. 1984, you're a this kid. This might have been the start of it. Yeah, right. Well, right. I mean, you you look at, well, I'm going to take you back to, a, what is it, about 77, 79 yeah. is when Sword of Shannara comes out uh, by Terry Brooks. I'm going to be referring to that book again. Maybe we'll cover it someday. Um, again, very Tolkien, and that starts out in a tavern as well. Okay. Um, and kind of has basically the same types of characters a, a lot. So uh, it had been done, so I could see where maybe that would be raised. But really, this is for for, for young people looking for to continue their token fascination, who's read everything. There's not a lot. A lot of stuff from the 70s, early 80s, was really kind of dark fantasy. Even things like the Conan novels, very dark, kind of adultish. Right, uh, we got like stuff like Darkness Weaves and things like that by Wagner. They're they're uh, they're they're really kind of dark. So um, this is kind of a fun romp, and I feel like it's maybe more creating the genre, like you said, yeah. more than really kind of rehashing it. And so. and again, remember, it's a game thing. Right, it's actually written specifically. Right. It's actually written in some of the Dungeon Master guides about leading about places that you can lead your party to. If they're running out of ideas, if they have questions, if they need to get more information, you can you can lead you can lead them. And the tavern is always mentioned. It's it's ba- taverns and churches. Right, it's right, basically right, one right. of those things where right. it's like, where are you going to go when you're in a new town and you, you need to find out the right information? Right, and you it's go been, to the bar. It's been said of this book that you. It's what can, I do in every town I go to. It's been said of this book <laughs> that you can hear the uh, dice rolling, and uh, I'm your oh. guy. That's not not the Dungeons and Dragons guy. Everybody else here is, so maybe I'm your guide if you're not a Dungeons and Dragons guy. Um, but this is definitely right. Uh, I, it, like you said, Club, uh, the the beginning of a campaign. I'm going to cite. It oftentimes as a detraction of the book that uh, this book was written uh, after the modules had already been completed. Correct. And so this book feels, especially this first one, like it is adhering to very specific game modules. And you can almost hear the, like, for me, video games, the startup at the beginning of a chapter. Like, do 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 Like, we are now <laughs> in a dungeon. And, and the characters are going, like, I feel that it might be a problem or a detraction for me for this book that, that it does that. Um, but it, it definitely adheres to that. I would like to say, within this first chapter, I really enjoyed how they brought in the first three characters that they talked to. That oh, yeah. It was, I believe it was amazing. It was, yeah. it was Tass. It was Flint and Tannis. I loved how there's a little bit of a fight. All of those things right. were immediately and like, really got, oh, okay, this is easy, this is quick, I'm loving this. It's and you really, you, you really understood um, the Flint-Tasselhoff relationship from the get-go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was really, and again, I'll, I'll go right along with you. Yeah. 
they really came across as like the R two D two C three PO at that time, <laughs> right. where it's just like it's just the, the small one that's just bouncing, bouncing down the trail, going somewhere, and the one behind him going, "What? Is, what's going on? Where are we going? What are we doing?" I, I totally had a flash to that at a different point when we get towards the end of that book. It is R two and C three PO for people. We'll but, but, but you had that; it was established right away with that relationship um, that there really was that, you know, that aspect from Flint especially was. Oh my God! I'm gonna crap about this person. I hate this person. It's gonna. Oh my God! I, I want to get away. It's gonna be this. But you really kind of got that idea of okay, they are great friends. Yeah. Right. And they are great traveling, and they are great companions. And I, I also got the precursor in my head from reading enough books like this, and I'm like, oh God, something's gonna happen at some point. Right. Just seeing this too. This is the in my mind the old guy just kind of going. Uh, the old guy and the race that never ages beyond twelve. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it should be said that, uh, said that uh, I mean, these these races are, are beholden to what has happened in D and D. It's definitely comes from Tolkien as well. So they're what you expect, kind of the long lived elves, the ornery dwarves, all of that kind of thing. Uh, it should be brought up though, Kender. I believe was something special for Dragonlance, and I do believe TSR. Um, is it my mistake? I'm not a D and D guy, but that there there was hobbits in yes. the beginning ha- of D and D, and then there was an issue, and they kind of turned them into halflings, and then they didn't want to do halfling. I think Hickman didn't want to do halfling, so he called them Kinder in this book or something. And like then this. he really morphed. He really morphed that class into the Kinder class, right? And right. Into this idea of they're just. But, you know, taking it from being hobbitish, right, and actually being called right. hobbits until Tolkien's people came down there. Right. No. Hey, that hey, may quit ripping us off. Hey, <laughs> my, my feel on the Kinder is that they might be in some ways the Jar Jar Binks of uh, the Dragonlance <laughs> universe. That you, I, some people love them and, and other people hate them. I've heard like nobody likes to play Kinder ever. It's uh, hard to play a Kinder. Yeah, it's, it's very hard to play, to play a Kinder properly because, for, like I said, they're twelve. Mm-hmm. They're twelve years. No matter, no matter if they're a hundred and twelve. No this, matter if they're a hundred and thirteen, they're still that twelve-year-old bouncy kid who's getting into everything and is bouncing around. You have to be so up all the time. <laughs> and the fact that the race itself doesn't have, you know, they don't have words for things like fear right. and you know hesitation, and because that's just not that's not it's it's and like Vulcans not having emotions. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And if you play that character, you are automatically going to be causing some party conflict. Right. Oh, exactly. Right away. You have to find things. I love that. I think that's yes. the greatest, the yeah. greatest, the so greatest thing for the little thief that bounces around. Well, no, I found it. Right. Oh, it's just appeared. I'll, I'll pay for it um, later. It, it's really great. I, I, the book, the book, Dragons of Autumn Twilight that I read has, has these annotations in it, and so there's kind of these behind the scenes things. I thought it kind of weird. Uh, Tracy Hickman, one of the authors, said that Kinder. He came up with the name Kinder uh, from the. He just says the legendary Kinderkin. I'm like. Legendary Kinderkin. Well, if it was legend, <laughs> if it was legendary, we would know. Well, yeah, yeah. I have I never. Isn't that. that like? Aren't those like European like uh, the the I, leprechauns? Uh, well, like, I I am. I I looked it up, um, and did, from okay. what I could find, because uh, I'm like that's what I thought. I'm like this must be some sort of leprechaun I've never heard of or something like that. This makes no sense. All I could find is that a Kinderkin or Kilderkin is an old English liquid measure, usually being about half a barrel. So I guess he's half a barrel high. Are these like are these are these like Smurfs? Like they're only three apples high. What are Smurfs? Three apples high or something? No, because it says he because he says it says he's like 
half or three quarters as tall as the dwarf. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, Kinderkin, uh, some sort of English liquid measurement. Let's get on to these other characters because yeah, yeah, we got to yeah. get it out of this into the yes. last helm. We get to, uh, we also meet the brothers Raceland and Caraman, which I guess is supposed to their names uh, give us some sort of illusion. It is said Raceland is supposed his name comes from Wasting Man, Raceland, Wasting Man. I don't know. And Caraman okay. is Caring Man. I can see Caring Man because he's always caring for his brother. I mean, I, I want to know he's how he's carrying. Yeah. His how, how how many chapters did you get into before you realized it wasn't Cameron? Yeah. <laughs> because it was about three. For me, I'm like, wait, wait a it was longer for me until you guys told me. Because once again, when I'm reading, I just kind reading, of yeah. say a name in my right. head that is similar to what I've read. And right. Cameron let's, was what I constantly. Let's make sure said. we spell it out clearly for everybody. So, so, so we have so far we we have Tannis, who is this half elf, yes. right? Tannis, uh, who is a half elf with a beard, and right. that's like a big thing because elves can't grow, grow beards. beards so, right. Even though he's got slightly pointed ears, he's got a beard which messes with people right. throughout the entire book. And and so we have him. We've got Flint, Fireforge. Who's this dwarf? We've got uh, uh, Tasselhoff, who's this little kinder. They all meet up on the road, uh, and then they end up at this inn of the last home, where there's this buxom barmaid. We're introduced feisty. to feisty, feisty, buxom, buxom red-haired, bar- red-headed barmaid. Yeah, who who is cleaning things? Uh, and and uh, her name is Tika, um, and she'll figure prominently uh, later on in the book. Um, and then we we meet the rest of the group. There is this uh, kind of Brother couple, which you just talked about, Raceland and Caramon. Caramon is kind of this big, tall, strong, uh, I'm going to go back to him, kind of Conan the Barbarian type, I guess. Um, and a bit, Raceland, of an, a bit of an oaf. A bit of an oaf sometimes. Okay. I guess. It is kind of alluded to that he is not extremely bright, although it not being read that he's stupid or yeah, anything yeah. like that. But then there's kind of the more conniving, world-wise Raceland, who, it, we got to note, has gold skin and hourglass eyes, which I would have to say... What I thought was cool about these hourglass eyes is it said that he, when he looks at things, he sees them. He sees the truth. He sees the truth, and he sees things as they are, like, aging and dying. So he can never find love because then when he looks at a woman, they they age and die immediately in yes. front of him. He, he sees. He sees all of them. He sees all, yes. And it is, and it is from this whole backstory that we get with Raceland on, you know, how he got his proper skills and his proper training, and part of the fact that he is a, as we understand it at this point, he's a fairly powerful mage. But in order to do, in order to have the magic, he sacrificed his body for that. Well, right? I mean, and I, that's why he has this. It really is a symbiotic relationship with his uh, twin brother, right. who's the big. And I just, I love the the dynamics of the night and day between Caramon and Raceland, where he's the big strong guy who may not, who. He he's smart enough, but right. he's not going to be the conniving one to make a plan. And then, kind of fragile, fragile looking or fragile feeling, sickly, constantly coughing, Raceland, who has the power. Right. And it should be said then that that this group uh, has been set. They split up five years ago. They said they would meet in five years at this this inn to to find out what they have discovered. I guess it was kind of lost on me uh, again as so what were the, what had they gone out to look for? The the truth of the old gods. The old gods. So but now really I when I'm reading it, I'm just kind of dismissing it because you're meeting all these characters. Right. And you're learning so much about them that I don't have enough I maybe 
brain space right. or brain power right. while I'm trying to remember all these names and who they are right. and what they well, do and, and why and this, they're doing this, it. This. And with all these names and where they are and what they do, I do think it was a smart idea to at least set them up a little bit as previous friends because now you do, you're explaining all this other stuff about them. If you didn't set up that they already knew each other, then you'd have to explain that as well, right. and we'd get way too much into right. stuff. And this is where, for me, I'm going to start having a few issues with the book where I feel there is already, at this point, uh, a lot of characters that are thrown at you. Like you said, uh, Luke, there's this whole backstory that must be understood in this world, that this world of Kryn... Uh, has gone through a cataclysm and it, the old gods have left and so now they're without gods and there's these people going around searching the seekers or, are searching for new gods and, and so the gods have left and, and the evil god is coming back and, and all of this stuff is happening and then this backdrop over top of it is this huge cast of characters and again, I'm going to go back to this... There, I'm not going to blame Hickman and Weiss for this. This is them being, and in fact, I think they've stated they wanted to cut this down, but they are beholden to this product that says you need to get every character that we are going to offer in oh, this book. Story. Oh, man, oh, yeah. yeah. So we have already, I feel, uh, too many characters kind of going forward. And we're not done. Uh, it is mentioned here that there is another character, Kittyara, who is the sister of Raceland and Karaman. The uh, older sister. The older sister. Um, and that she, for no apparent reason, has just uh, decided to leave. She uh, she sent word she wasn't going to meet him. Yeah, wasn't yeah, going to meet yeah, with him. she's not coming. It's obviously she is some sort of love interest of Tannis, yes. uh, half-elven. Um, and so then we move on from there. And we're not done. We get into chapter three, and in walks Sturm... Right, who is our knight of Salamnia? The thing that I love about Sturm, and tell me if this, I, I don't know if I have not seen mustache written on uh, yeah, yeah. mustaches oh, yes. in yeah. the English language. Oh, but I am yeah. reading this, and and I've got to read this. This is a quote from from chapter three. Um, uh, let me see if I can if I can find uh, where I where I put this. Uh, yeah, he says something about flowing mustaches. Yes, multiple. Right. It feels, yeah, I read it, I'm like, multiple mustaches? Because I've only heard it called, like, mustache. He had a long, flowing mustache. I'm like, mustaches? Like, like does he have four? Like, I'm envisioning, like, four mustaches hanging down. I had to look that up. Yeah, really? Like, I had to I'm look glad that you up. did. As, as, yeah. as the guy, as, as the word guy, as the guy with the literature degree, yeah, yeah. I had to look that up. And it actually talks about the fact that um, in mustache lore, <laughs> what? If you, have, mustache if you lore? have, if it goes all the way across, and I'm pointing at my mouth, so I shouldn't do that. <laughs> if it goes all the way across, it's a mustache. If it's got that weird split in the middle and then comes down, they're mustaches. Okay, so he's got skin. He's got skin between them. Okay, okay. Yeah, mustaches. But if, I have, have mustaches. you seen like, have you seen the seventies like, really, oh yeah, really, yes. like, like the seventies stash or like the eighteen hundreds mustaches yes. that try to do. Yeah, where it is actually like almost shaped, where it's shaved in the middle, and then it comes like so. So, in other words, this is very important, listeners. uh, When you're reading this, uh, picture Ted Nugent walks in in armor, okay, Um, and and with him, right, coming in with Sturm, he's got uh, two other people, right, Goldmoon and Riverwind, and Riverwind. Okay, thoughts on Goldmoon and Riverwind? I never saw her as blonde. Uh, Yeah. 
These guys come in, and what I feel odd about this, maybe this is forward-looking, is they feel very Native American. Exactly. But are referred to as being being very Nordic in appearance. So there's this weird blending of Native American and, and Nordic kind of ideas, I feel, at least in my mind, which I, I found intriguing. It's a very intriguing idea. Even if you look at the Larry Elmore, who is the guy who did the art for the covers and, and things like that, he's got a a very kind of uh, Native take on, on things like a tannis. He's got feathers you know, mm-hmm. in his hair and stuff, which I found is a, a really cool way of separating this world, I think, from, you know, say, a, you know, very Nordic-feeling, you know, some of the other stuff that has gone before. Yeah, you like know. Lord of the, Lord Lord of the, of the Rings. Rings. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel so high fantasy from England yeah. uh, as it's kind of its own unique universe. Yeah. And with Riverwind and... Um, Goldmoon. Goldmoon. I almost said Goldbloom, but that's something else entirely. <laughs> that's Jeff. Um, okay, that's Jeff. Um, Goldmoon. I I never saw her as blonde until like a couple pa- in, in, until like I think it was the end of the book or the second book. It was the wedding where mm-hmm. they where they talked about her golden hair during the wedding, and I'm like, golden hair? She's a Native American, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I always saw her as blonde. Um, they, they, I, they do talk about it earlier. Yeah, yes. they, they do. But Silver it, and gold hair. But she carries with her a staff, okay? And there's there's a lot of importance to this staff. But anyway, what, what ends up happening is uh, she sings some songs. Um, can we uh, talk about the songs? Can we talk about the Actually, songs? Actually, yes. <laughs> what, hold on, you guys. Uh, oh. oh, boy. Oh, God, is there a part? Is, oh. not, not only uh, in the Dragonlance Module 1... Are there lyrics to this song? There's a full-blown musical score for it. Oh, <laughs> my think, God. I think we need the to get a piano. I think Goldberg. we need to get guitars. There you Let's are. Do this. Okay, so we should say uh, Weiss and Hickman did not write the poetry and the songs that uh, appear a lot in this book. I do feel that this... I'm going to be Mr. Negative on this one and say this is where they are trying to go Tolkien. They are yes, trying yeah. to establish cool lore. These things were write, written by another TSR guy named Michael Williams, Holy cow! I read the first few of them and I stopped reading them. I when 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 they come up came up, I would I would skip them. I, yep. I was like, oh, here comes another piece of poetry. Here comes another song. I don't mind poetry. I couldn't get through this stuff. Well, and I think I, part yeah, of I'm my right there with you. I yeah. was I was exactly yeah. right. I was there with you from number one. Right. I got halfway through the first song and went, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And by and by the, the way, song, and done. Pete or Klob is is a literature guy. Yes. And, well, it was just they were so, without the music and without everything, but. If you paid attention, every time that there was a song, you got the full lyrics of the song that sometimes went on for like three pages. <laughs> and then there was a paragraph synopsis of what the song was about right after <laughs> so the song. So you could just yeah. read every that. Every time. Yep. Every time the next paragraph when you got back into the story was, was Antennas was thinking about the song and thinking about how it talked about her home country. And, and <laughs> there's, there's part of me that says maybe that was a thing that they were doing because it, T, TSR... Uh, Hickman talks about in some of his annotations that TSR thought that their their use of language was at too high of a level for the demographic they were shooting at. I don't know what he's talking about. Excuse I me. Really? I did not feel the language in this was at too high of a level. I mean, no, I I mean I I am a I I will admit it. I'm a very slow reader. I I blew through this book. Right, right. T, TSR. I don't know if they were going for kind of that 11, 12, 13, or whatever year old demographic they're going for. But Hickman says he wanted to keep. That TSR execs came back and said the language in this is a little bit at too high of a level. We need to cut it back some, but they didn't. That they fought and and kept it in. 
I don't know what he's talking about. So maybe those synopsis at the end of these um, at the end of these big uh, songs and poetry were like, oh, ten year olds aren't going to be able to get this. We'll summarize it at the <laughs> end. I don't there, know. There is something about a self aware book, though. I do like that. Yeah, but I cannot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I and cannot imagine this book at a lower level. Yeah, like it's, I just it's it's, it, it's written at a it, it's written at a fifth sixth grade level. Right yeah, now right. Yeah, I mean, this is somebody uh, you know, if 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 a student came to me and and, and was in fifth sixth grade and was like, what should I read? Uh, I'd be pointing them at Dragonlance. I wouldn't be saying, this is too high of a level for you. Although, there, we'll get to it. There's well, some, a little TNA in this. Uh, yeah. This is something, my, my son's, a, my, my, I have a 10-year-old, my son's a huge um, like Rick Rodan fan and Harry Potter and fantasy fan. And I can't, um, I can't wait, honestly, I can't wait till probably about 12. Right. When I can hand him Dragon, when I can hand him some of the Dragonland right. stuff and go here, this will work perfectly for you. Oh, and by the way, Dad has a podcast. You should really check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Share it with your friends at school. It should be noted here that Riverwind and Goldmoon aren't part of the group that split up before. No, they just happened to come into this tavern because somebody told them they should. Yeah, and I believe it. We're, we're supposed to feel like the old man who showed up first because he's. At the beginning, that that whole preface, he's kind of surreptitiously putting chairs in the corner and whatever. Like, like he's orchestrated this in some way, or knows it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. This gathering, he's somehow the the shadowy old wizard in the corner that has is watching this all play out. Um, but our first bit of action Maybe happens I, here. This is kind of ju- just kind of coming to me. I mean, I we do know it's Fizbin. Right. Right. But I, maybe that's some little hint at him being the DM. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, it's, totally it's setting good. it up. Yeah. The DM going, I need these two characters in. Hey, here you go. Uh, hey, you know although, what? How about a tower? Although we'll get to it later on the book. If he's in the DM, man, I've got issues with this DM. Wait till three. Wait till three. Okay, okay, so anyway, we got our little, our first little bit of action that happens here uh, where there's this high theocrat who comes in. He's angry. He says that uh, they're corrupting the youth. This whole gold moon sings this song. I guess it's uh, some sort of 60s hippie rebellion song because she's corrupting the youth. Uh, he's mad. He somehow gets, uh, he goes into the fire, which it should be noted that uh, the entire group, it's very clear that that nobody is at fault for him going into the fire. Like They're establishing yes. early, this is a really good group of, of heroes, uh, that this bad guy comes in, gets angry, but... But it's none of their fault that he falls into the fire, and then um, it's it's a, it's a little Saturday morning cartoon. A, a little yeah. bit, yeah. The, he, the, he trips the, over his own robes. Oh, the cl- the clumsy evil guy falls yeah. in the fire. You can almost hear that like like Scooby Doo like like he falls into the fire, but then horribly gets burned. Yeah, like so that's where the similarity ends. But but then. It, it ends up Gold Moon can heal him. The, the the staff she carries has healing properties. But instead of being grateful... Uh, Which hey, is a big deal because that sort of clerical magic has left the world. Correct. Since the cataclysm. Correct. There's no more healing magic after the old gods left. Right. It's kind of like a miracle happened. Like all of a sudden like everybody's sitting around a tavern. A guy walks in. Somebody falls into the fire. And then all of a sudden a guy like feeds everybody there with loaves and fishes. Everybody like, whoa! What's going on? A miracle just happened yeah, here yeah. in this bar. That's what happens here is this whole healing with the staff is is not supposed to have happened. This is a miracle nobody has ever seen. So what does the bad guy do automatically after he's just been saved by the magical healing lady? Uh, he orders their capture and and they have to flee, which, okay, I have listened to other people talk about Dragons of Autumn Twilight, right? Um, and, and they note some of the th- 
the things that are said in this book as being like the classic phrases from the book. This is one of them, with Tannis saying, we'll have to go out through the kitchen. Oh, exactly. People, people are saying that's a big thing. I don't know. This did not dawn on me as a big line no. from the book. And people no. are throwing this out as like a quotable part of the book. It's 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 the backdoor aspect. Think of the action movie. Think about, you know, something's right. going on and the hero runs out the back door. So we'll have to or, get out know, the back door. They had that fight where like the 85, you know, the John Wick thing where like the 85 henchmen are coming at you. So he steps into the kitchen and then fights him on his way out of the kitchen using like the pan to like slap the guy back or something right. like that. That's totally how I took that. And I actually really like that because of course there's a hole in the kitchen. Why wouldn't there be a hole in the kitchen for them <laughs> to jump through out of this tavern right. in a tree? Alright, we gotta roll for initiative and, and go. So here we go. Uh, they end up hiding at Tika's house. Uh, goblins are searching for them. Uh, the part that I like just is chapter 4, I don't have a lot to say about it except I do like the part uh, I'm a, like I said, I'm a big fan of Conan stuff. This felt Conan to me. I said Caraman feels like Conan, he grabs two of them and smashes their heads together. Oh, yeah. And that's something does, I like Conan does all the time. I love that. I love that part. I, I could just hear uh, grapefruits or something smashing together. Um, we're moving on to Chapter 5, and the group escapes to this Crystal Mirror Lake. And this is where, really, I think the thing of note that happens here is that Raceland notices that, or, or speaks of, there being two of the constellations are not in the sky. Yes. And that was a huge thing. And that's right. something I think maybe should have been brought up earlier because those constellations have been missing for a long time. And I mean, think of, think of the stuff that would happen right now with, you know, our Earth. Yeah. All of a sudden, Orion and, you know, the Big Dipper. and Big Dipper. Polar were, Orion and Polaris disappear. Uh, yeah, right. Like, both of them are gone and nobody's Neil really talking about it. Neil deGrasse Tyson will lose his <laughs> Right. But, you know, right. let's not talk about it until we're being chased by goblins. <laughs> you know. yeah. yeah, this is the time we're going to notice, hey, by the way, the, you know, the guy with the hourglass eyes is just kind of chilling in the front of the boat and goes, hey, you know what? There's some constellations missing. Well, I'm glad that you're an astronomer, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go. Uh, we gotta go. Guy shooting at us right now. Yeah, and the uh, and the, and the uh, the the Flint does not want to get in the boat. I yeah, I love that. I love the character development on that. That had Flint's issue with water, and. They just allude to, at some point, he was in a boat with Caramon, and Caramon tipped the boat over. Right. See, and they know. never tell you the rest of the story yeah. throughout <laughs> the entire series. I, I actually really liked that, because it just gave him a little, it gave Flint a little bit more depth, rather than just being, I'm the crabby gnome, or excuse me, I'm the crabby dwarf. I, right. I will say, that is where I got my D&D &D moment of, oh, he must have, at some point in the campaign, rolled a natural one, and something terrible happened. I can't <laughs> swim. I almost died. There's a few other moments throughout this book that I'm like, oh, somebody must have rolled bad. Right. And that, I think, added to it. So we're going down this river, and like you said, it's just, hey, there's two constellations missing. What? Right. To me, if, if, you're, meet, this if you're meeting after five years, hey, what have you found about the gods? That's the first thing I'd have been saying. Raceland would have been sitting there. I'd have been like, hey, by the way. There's two constellations missing. And that's all that we would have talked about as soon as we would have met. I don't know what they were and, talking about. And they're a really bad lady and a really good guy. Yeah, mm. I kind of think something might be going on. Why now. is nobody checking on where the really bad lady went? <laughs> but anyway, they, they escape, they spend the night in a cave, and they decide they're going to, since they found... Uh, and this is, uh, I, I can't remember exactly if it's right here when they're in the cave or if it's when um, they're in the tavern, but they talk about how... Goblin blood stinks. 
Oh yeah. This oh, is he, one of my favorite things about the whole thing. That, that was that was that was right at the very beginning, right before they got to the tavern because those right. two goblins attacked him. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they, yeah. Oh man, that's so so cool. It's just something I, I never would have thought of. Like, yeah. you can't wash this out of steel. It stinks so bad. Right. It's yeah. So and you good. don't think yeah. of blood generally as having a smell to it. Yeah. Yeah. No. But goblins no. are so gross that even their blood stinks. Well, unless you soak your sword in tomato juice. Right <laughs> <laughs> that'll take it. That'll take it out. So, uh, they decide to go to Qualanesti, which is the home of the elves, but the problem is... That uh, sometimes it's only Qualanost and not Qualanost, Qualanesti. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know, know what's going on here. Again, Hickman in these little annotations always says how he's like giving allusions to a bigger universe. I feel it's kind of... Just chuck chuck it in some like parentheses, Yeah, man. I don't know. I, I feel maybe he has a higher opinion of what he was trying to build here than actually comes through. But whatever. Um, and again, I'm going to put it out there. I have not read the other 138 novels that tie into this. You're pretty close, though. I'm getting close. Hey, I've been reading. I've read through the tales. I've read through legends uh so I'm, I'm making my way there people um but anyway um it is forbidden for humans to enter qualinesty and they've got to go first through darken wood but this whole time that he's talking about the elves and qualinesty i'm thinking this is again keeping the beats of tolkien right I think so. where they are i mean they oh yeah he's they, trying they he's are trying to establish a culture yeah they are they are escaping i mean you've got this group that are that's escaping uh being pursued by the dark riders right uh, the the ring raids okay yeah yeah definitely. Yep, yep and then we need to go to the elves Ooh. right you know because they know right who are realistically your stereotypical we're we're the they're token elves Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, yeah. We're snooty. We don't have time for mankind because yeah. we're so much better than you are and your lives go by in the blink of an eye. And we're really good archers. Right. And here again, <laughs> yeah. I, this is going to be my problem with the book in some ways. Again, uh, do when we get to the end, will we recommend this book or not for reading? Uh, you know, um, one of my issues with this is that it is very close to Tolkien. Uh, I'm not going to ne- necessarily That's fault it. This Again, we're looking at this book from 1984. Terry Brooks, a book which maybe we'll get to, The Sword of Shannara, came out in 1977. I mean, I'm telling you, if you want to read a book that is, I mean, this guy just, just ripped from Tolkien. Ooh. That guy did it already. I'm going to say these guys ripped a lot from Tolkien. I believe one of the reviews at the time even said that, like, this book contains ragged, bloody chunks of Tolkien. And I agree with that. It's like, it's Tolkien not done as well as Tolkien. This is going to be my beef with it, is this is not as good as Tolkien. Uh, I don't know that anything really can be. I'm one of those kind of guys. Um, and, and a lot of this is, is going beat for beat. But hey, these are guys right now, Wise and Hickman, who are not writers. Uh, they were tasked with this by a company. And for their first time out, not bad so far. Not and, bad. And, and truthfully... It's for a different audience. We have to remember that. Right. We have to remember that is this wasn't Dragonlance was not written for token readers. For, you know, <laughs> right. For, for for the same people that token that token wrote for that Lord of the Rings that Lord of the Rings wrote for, um, and it's it's this aspect that we do we do have to remember that. Right. However, there again, like you said, the bloody chunks of the token you know universe. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I love that because that's actually very good. But we. Think of how many things are that are all of these races and all of this idea, right. all a lot of these ideas that were invented by Tolkien and the guys and right. ladies before him as well. 
a template is a template is a, is a template. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to write a book with dwarves and elves and everything else, uh, you're going to f- suffer the, the fact that you're alluding to Tolkien. You know, I mean, you're always going to be going back to Tolkien. Can we so, talk but, about the forest, please? Let's get to dark. We need to get We need to get. So there's, there's a part before that that, we, that I need to talk about. Oh, okay. Uh, they're going on the trail and they meet up with these hooded figures. Oh yes. yes. And which turn out to be draconians. Draconians. They right. get jumped, and there is this battle scene. I, I would say you're really the, uh, the your first big one. Right. I hate how it's written. Oh man, I'm totally gonna go with you on this one because that's what I have written in my notes right here. Is that I, the one takeaway for the, from this for me was I love the idea that they turn to stone. And so you oh, have to so get, good. You got to get your sword out of there before they die. Otherwise, they lock it in their bodies because they turn to stone. But I didn't know half the time what was happening. I felt it was the most poorly written fight. One of the most poorly I've ever read. It well, and I, think it, and I think that that goes back to, you know, stuff that we saw from the beginning is all of a sudden we have eight, nine main characters here. Oh, my God, yeah. There's no separation in point of view. Yes. One, yep. small, little, one small little sentence we from Taz's point of view, and then we jump to somebody else's point right. of view. And it took me a good, like, four chapters right. to finally separate in my head the difference right. between Tannis and Taz. I, I was yep. going to say that there's oh, yeah. there's big issues here with Tannis, Taz, and, and, and Tika. Po- Tika. Points of view shift where we're going from like a hero, we're in a hero's mind, yeah. we're in Verminards when yeah, we get exactly. to a mind, and it's it's just right there. There is no, there's no separation. You're like, what is going on? I do feel very elementary some of this stuff mm-hmm. that's happening. I feel like, you know, I mean, there was no yes. editor over this. That, we that. got one of the authors, his wife, she's the editor. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like Luke said, that first that that first battle with the Draconian soldiers there. There's those cool. There's the cool aspect of they turn to stone. Yeah, and you gotta get great. out quick, or else you're screwed without a weapon. But yeah, you things turn to stone, things fall over. All of a sudden, somebody's climbed a tree. There's something. I got I'm lost like, I have in no parts of this fight. Uh, again, we should talk draconians. All I know is we won. Draconians a very cool idea. I love yeah. this idea. Instead of orcs, they didn't want to use orcs in this book, so they came up with this idea of kind of dragon-like people with wings and tails. The the art for these guys are is, is sweet. I'm like, okay, if there's something you added to D and D that was really cool, these draconians are cool. I think I'd rather fight draconians than orcs any day. I, I think they're cool. There's a very cool concept. Well, I think that poorly executed in this writing. In, in, yes, and especially in the, especially in this first meeting of the Draconians, oh. where we're first meeting them and seeing them for what they are. And I, I, again, to allude to other sci-fi, I had this great like V alien with wings. Oh yes, the v, v aliens. Yeah, V. I definitely. Yeah, that that's how they're headed. Because it's weird they describe them as having the faces of humans. Like, mm-hmm. like, they have human faces, and so that could throw you, if there wasn't these illustrations showing them as they look, you might get this weird dragon body thing with a very human face, which is not mm. what the art kind of depicts. But uh, a cool idea. But, okay, let's let's move on. Let's they move they, the they, 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 uh-huh. they get past this. They are forced to go through Darkenwood. Uh, on their way there, Tasselhoff sings uh, another one of his road songs, and which, again, this is, a, uh, this is a Tolkien ripoff. We're going to... We're gonna sing a road song. There's, there's one thing I do need to bring up here because I'm gonna bring up my problem with it later. Okay. Um, Gold Moon starts to, uh, you know, really show off her healing powers after the battle. Ah. People are hurt, and then it's it's what's it's brought up. Raceland can't touch the staff that hurts right. him. Yeah. That's fine. Whatever. Um, and then what? Sturm gets hit on the head, and Sturm starts to go crazy. But like, her staff can't fix that. I, th- I believe it's brought up. 
I guess this is how bad the writing was. I didn't even know Stern started. Because he starts seeing the white yeah, stag. Like he, sees, he's, he's he starts seeing the, the white stag. Stern okay. gets a concussion, but the staff won't heal a concussion. <laughs> yeah, you can okay. get it. You can get cut. You can have your arm almost cut off. But right, a concussion, <laughs> but a concussion. No. This is too much. I mean, this is see. This is again why they should. You know, people playing football, the concussion thing, everything like that. <laughs> <laughs> magic, magic stabs can't even. Okay, so we get to finally. Are we ready for Dark and Wood? Okay, yeah, we're in dark okay so we please, enter please. enter Dark and Wood, which is supposed to be this haunted haunted woods, right? Um, and and they're led into this forest by a white stag. I've already read the whole backstory to the stag. I am not going to talk about what the backstory to this white stag. I hardly wanted to read the story about the white stag. So <laughs> yeah, okay. So this whole white stag uh, leads them into Darkenwood, um, and, and and then we end up with these. What I think is cool: spectral minions, which I yes, think was super cool, very cool. The picture in the book is awesome. Hey, put me, give me a skeleton in armor any day. I'm with it. Oh heck yeah, I'm with it. Heck since yeah. since I first saw Jason in the Argonauts, that old movie, <laughs> the old one, the old one from what is okay. it, the 60s, okay. where those crazy, um, crazy skeletons come out out of the dragon teeth. Um, I have loved skeleton warriors, so I love me some skeleton well, again, warriors. Again, and I kept thinking of the um, well. I, I kept thinking of the magic card of the reassembling skeleton. <laughs> right. Where the skeleton gets hit over the head and... Cinderbones. Right. Cinderbones, if you Cinder will. Bones. Yes. Right. Cinderbones. What I think is cool here, though, is they can't speak to the group, so they have to, like, oh, I possess this. Raceland, and Raceland speaks, uh, like, with a different voice. That whole possession aspect, I was thinking movie here. And here I was like, if I was a person making a movie, this is a cool scene. Heck You're yeah. in this awesome dark woods, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning all this kind of, you know, swampy moss hanging everywhere, maybe Endor, or not Endor, Dagobah, yes. kind of looking swamp, right? I don't know, Star Wars going right? And then, uh... And then you got this crazy-eyed Raceland where they're speaking through him. I thought it was cool. Well, awesome. I, I love the fact that when he was possessed, it was that that was how everybody knew he was possessed because it was a completely like dubbed voice for him. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was a completely different voice. Again, to the eight-year-olds reading, uh, Raceland's not Raceland anymore. Daddy's not yeah. daddy <laughs> when, he, when he drinks the liquor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a coping mechanism written in there for eight-year-olds. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, so that'll come up on our okay. Let's let's uh, let's get into though. This is so, so for me. This is where we've gotten cool, and oh. then these guys destroy it all oh, for me. It, the jumps the it gets oh my stupid. Okay, so here we go. We've got these awesome ghosts who lead us to a group of centaurs who pop out of the woods, which to me, centaurs work okay in, Until in Greek mythology. If you're, in, if you're in Hercules, if you're in Xena, oh, we, we can do that. However, when they pop up now, it's like, how many genres are we going to try to... They are throwing into everything book. into this soup. And it doesn't... This is a dark woods. Okay, if you're going to have centaurs, they should be corrupted in some yes. way. They should yes. be dark. These are just like centaurs that show up. And then everything gets like light. And then... I'm I, actually, okay, I'm, I'm going to throw this out. Is the weirdest line <laughs> in the whole freaking book right here. The centaur, they're told to get on the centaur's backs. Okay? This is... You are the, you are totally... Okay, this is... I, I'm i okay with the centaurs yep. until this. Okay, and this <laughs> is what one of the... Centaur says, he as they're all getting on their backs and stuff, he says, Nay, thee doesn't need to squeeze me in two. The centaur glanced back, his eyes glittering in the moonlight. It'll be my job to see thee stays on. 
relax. Put thy hands on me, rump, to balance thyself. There now, grip with thy legs. <laughs> I can't take <laughs> all, all of See, a sudden. The hands on the rump thing oh. weirded me out because yeah. I don't care if it's a centaur. You don't ride a horse with your hands behind no. you. Yeah, no. All, all of a sudden, are you sitting backwards? What's going on here? Oh, all of man. a sudden, it's Fifty Shades of Centaur, and I don't know. What's <laughs> yeah, going on. it got it got weird. Why is the centaur really sexy quick. all of a sudden? I don't know what's going yeah, that on. That whole yeah. line and was really all I felt at that point was. Nay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so then, so what's the point of these centaurs? Uh, they lead him to the forest man master. There, there isn't. Yeah, there's there no, isn't. The point, no, to the point of the centaurs is to lead us to the forest master, who is, of course, a what? A unicorn! Why wouldn't Why? it be a pure white unicorn in the dark forest? And I'm sorry, I have two daughters who I, I I feel bad because I got them watching The Last Unicorn and they've been watching it way too much, so all I'm hearing is uh, the song by America at this point. Oh my the God. Last Unicorn! <laughs> I'm like, oh my God! Like this, this book has had really cool elements right here. This is a part that you need to cut out and throw away. Yes. Like, I mean, just just skip chapters. I mean, uh, and then, and then, nine, ten, and then not only not only do we meet the forest master who is a pure white unicorn, it's a telepathic <laughs> pure white unicorn. And I forgot about the telepathic who is going to bring part. in that its just... Pegasi friends, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who are racists. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to help these guys. <laughs> Racist Pegasi because they got other things to do. And then, and then all legs. of a sudden. All of a sudden, the, these Pegasi are going to take our heroes on this adventure that makes them fall asleep, and they wake up in a field. So it's like, this ne- the Pegasi never needed to happen. The unicorn never needed to happen. They could have gone through the woods, met the ghosts. It could have right. been really cool. But they could have left the woods and been th- then been in that field. This is, exactly. total, this is totally <laughs> Hobbit, though. This is Hobbit right here, right? Where, yeah, where, okay, where, okay, yeah, where yeah. the eagles bring them and, and drop them off. But they, they, they can't even follow yeah, through. These Pegasi drop them off early and they're like, well, we gotta go. We got crap happening. I don't know what's <laughs> even going on. This, <laughs> with this. But there's, the one, there's, the one, there's the one Pegasus that drew the short that drew the short straw, <laughs> the short unicorn horn or whatever. Oh, crap. And it's the, so when they wake up, there's the when Tannis wakes up, there's one standing there going, I just wanted to see if you were okay. And turns around and leaves. Right. Well, oh. it, it, it should be said yeah, in all this. About that, in yes. all this, make in sure all... they're alive. That's all I gotta do. All right, bye. It's like taking care of your drunk friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you make sure they're alive, and then you'll once they pass. Out. Once oh. they pass out, you get them to a bed, and then you're done. Right. Well, you're done. it should be said that an important part here happens with this. The last unicorn. Okay. <laughs> he does. I can't. Or she says that a shining one came to her and said that she needed to bring the group to Zaxaroth. Uh, the Shining One is an old man from the beginning. So again, we're, we're trying to keep this through line of this old man in the beginning now came and helped them out by saying, you know, bring them to Zaxaroth. Um, be, uh because there's these discs that they need to find. I, I can't remember. Does the, the, the Pegasus tell them about the, or the unicorn tell them about the discs that they're supposed to find? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay. The discs of Mishakal. Okay, so we're already into chapter 11, 12, and just now do our heroes finally have kind of a mission, kind of a goal. At yes. this point, if we were literally, I'm going to bring but, it up. But, it, but it's... it's Lord of the Rings, we'd have had a very distinct mission at And this if point. you're playing a campaign, yeah, this is... I, I feel that this is... Three, four sessions in, it could have been. Yeah, it, it right. could have been. Th- and just now we're figuring out what, what we're, we're supposed to, to be find. doing. What actually, and, you know what? I, I'm okay with this because I you know, just just playing some D and D myself. Uh, some 
like, you know, session one where you and your friends get together with these characters you made up. You kind of just go together on an adventure without any real reason. These guys at least, I mean, well, even them being friends beforehand aside, yeah. right. they, they're being chased. Right. Like, hey, we got to run and we got to work together. Otherwise, we're going to get captured by a bunch of goblins. Right. That's cool. That's fine. And then just they kind of happen upon a mission while they're doing it. I, I am given I'm, to them by the last unicorn. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I just forget even, yeah, forget about that. But I'm 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 on board and I'm okay with that. Right, okay, even so we'll going, cut. sorry, even going into the dark woods, I believe it was the only reason they went into the dark woods was because they couldn't take the normal path because they were being chased. So yes. there was and, always... And Sturm got hit on the head and he was following yeah. some white Then deer. he got all concussion. And, 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 and we've got this aspect, too, where this is us getting to know the characters, and I understand that, but, like, the characters don't... The characters never talk to each other, or haven't talked to each other at this point, unless there's other stuff going on. Right. Like, yeah. we're, we're in a boat, all of a sudden you're telling us backstory, and I'm like, no, no, you're running from goblins. Yeah. You're not You're not, You're not. not running into the mythical woods going, yeah, so uh, me and my girlfriend came from the north. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, Club, uh, when we get in further into this book towards the end, that inner dial, that monologues that start happening uh, really start to irritate yeah. me. All right, so we're on to chapter 12. I, our heroes end up going uh, to the destroyed village of... Quishu, which again, I'm gonna bring up. Um, I feel one of the things that doesn't happen very well in everything in this book is the naming scheme for things. It, it doesn't feel like Kryn, um, has Kryn and Kishu should exist in the same. Yeah, yeah. like like there, there doesn't seem to be from the same kind of universe. You know, like kind of regions should have regional dialects that seem to match. Match, and we're we're going from this kind of like you know Kryn and and Solace. Yeah. And Qualanesti, but then we have this Quishu, which definitely seems to have some sort of, you know, more Asian influence kind of a name. It seems like those should be regions that have kind of similar naming conventions instead of just this hodgepodge of, of different named things. But I don't know, this village to me is supposed to be kind of like what your little platoon moment where it's like, oh my gosh, everybody's been killed, everybody's been burned. Uh, yeah. It has a lot of impact, supposed to have a lot of impact. I don't know that it does for me. One of the things I'm going to fault for this book, and I'm, I'm really going to turn up the heat on this one uh, as we get later on in this book, is the over-the-top emotionality of characters. Um, everybody's crying all the time. I, I, I can't tell you how many times like Karaman said this with tears in his eyes and Raceland said this with tears streaming down his face and Tannis yes. broke with tears streaming down. Uh, this, if they were shooting for a demographic of, of 11, 12 year olds, man, this is the emotional level of 11 or 12 year olds yes. where the love depicted in this book is intense and over the top uh, kind of wordy feelings where you you just don't want to read it sometimes and, and same with kind of the the epicness everything is trying to be epic and, and failing like kind of a teen movie in a lot of places for me well I see I think that's just the thing is everything is trying to be epic yeah and it's trying to be so much of it's going to be everything and he's so broken is that it really human beings aren't like that Right, right. Or whatever race you want to be. Aren't, aren't like that. I mean, there's generally a middle ground somewhere. And I think part of that, like you said, the book gets away from that because there's you're either stoic and kind of an asshole. Or, <laughs> you're, or you feel things very deeply. Right, right, right. 
So anyway, it should be said, they move on from Kweishu. They are on the road to Zach Saroth. Again, I don't know how, how you guys pronounce it. I said Zach Saroth? Yeah, Zach Saroth. Zach Saroth. Ooh, I, I like that yes. way. Okay. Um, and they have to go through this swamp surrounding the place. Um, but in the end, I guess the long and short of it is they are captured. Yes. Um, right? By draconians. Uh, all but Flint and Tass. Oh, yes. Who, who, the dynamic who, duo. Who escape. Yes. So the two short ones, Flint and Tass, are not knocked out. Um, and kind of a, I guess, a funny part. Th- these guys find a giant dragon. The draconians are kind of worshipping this giant dragon statue. I, I love this part. A wicker, yeah, I, I a I wicker love, dragon. A wicker. Yeah, it's made out of wicker. A rattan. A rattan yes. dragon. A wicker dragon. Um, and they end up crawling inside of it. Or Taz ends up crawling inside Taz of it. Right? And, and I had that moment where Taz crawls inside of it and starts speaking. And I'm like, I, I, I had the Bugs Life moment. You have kids, you've seen that. <laughs> yes. 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 When I hit the bird to like swoop down and scare the bad guys away. <laughs> that was totally what I was picturing. You're picturing is just the wicker dragon flying around and scaring all the little draconians. <laughs> right, right. Or Wizard of Oz. There's a pay yes. attention to that man yes. behind the curtain. Right? Yeah, I, I, this part was entertaining. Again, there's parts in this book that are really filled with action and, and I feel are written pretty good. And, and this is one of those scenes where I'm like, okay, this is great. This is some of the stuff I love. You got your heroes uh, tied up and caged and all this kind of stuff. And the only two that can save them are, are the two small, small, small of stature characters. And, and they're going to fool everybody by acting like the dragon can talk. Taz is inside this wicker dragon, and he's going to talk through it to fool the draconians into letting the heroes go. And I really feel like this was some. This is something that would have hap- that could have happened in a actual D and D campaign. Right. Your friends have been captured. Da 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 da. What do you What do you do? Well, I look right. at the wicker dragon. Well, you see a door. <laughs> right. Oh, I climb into the wicker. Uh, right, know, right. Yeah. And who knows? I that it probably was the module, aspect. right? This is probably what the module. I actually, was. I, I didn't read this part. But right. I could, I could assume. Yeah, I would it, assume they are playing really closely, as from my understanding, to the module. So I'm sure this is, was something uh, in the module. I just right? love the comedy aspect of this. Yeah. I don't. I I read it entirely as Tass just going. Oh, cool. Let's do this. Right. I just constantly going. I feel this book is hilarity. This book is at its best when it does these comedy, more comedy routines, because this book uh, should not take itself too seriously. And when it's in this kind of lighter, silly, you know, we're climbing into a wicker uh, dragon and and, and fooling the kind of stupid dragon. Again, what I I think this book also suffers from is, as of right now, we are in chapter 14. There is not a convincing bad guy yet in sight. No. We have been fighting bumbling draconians who are kind of stupid. Um, You know, so... Again, the beginning of a campaign. (laughs) Right, yeah. You're at these lower levels. You're at these lower levels. Everybody's establishing their character. They're establishing... We're establishing... You got to level up. You don't... Or, you know, or even to go back, you know, you don't fight Bowser on the first level of Mario. <laughs> you have to go right. through all the other steps yep. and all the other levels before you actually get to fight the different bosses. <laughs> um, right here, though, there is still this problem that I'm having, that I've had throughout this whole book of there being too many characters. Oh, exactly. And there'll be time where a character will speak, and I remember it happening a lot during these scenes, where somebody will do something or say something, and I'll be like, where have they been? Were, were they in... Were, did they leave? I thought they'd left. Or, or you know, like, yeah. like they, I haven't heard from these guys in the last three chapters, and all of a sudden they're saying something. There is too many characters I, in this book. I will say, I like having a lot of characters, though. I 
one of my favorite fantasy series books that I read was uh, Wheel in Time. And the amount of characters they had in all of those books, there's a lot. And, right. it, and it's just, I don't know, it's one of those where I don't like how he did, how they did the transitions between characters, but I like having a couple different viewpoints, more than just, you know, two or three main characters. I like having, you know, four or five, six, where you can kind of jump, but you, you have to have a good transition, which they did not. Yeah, this is, it's well. not written well enough to yeah. have this many yes. characters, to right. where it's like, well, we want to we have a little spotlight on the dwarf and the kender. How are we going to do that? Well, everybody gets tied up. Why is that? Well, because there's a wicker dragon with a horde of draconians. <laughs> right. Like, I, okay. Uh. Right. So everybody escapes, right? Flint uh, gets everybody free while Tasselhoff is talking to everybody through the wicker dragon. And, and then he the crashes. Crashes it and burns. Yes. Uh, of and course. again, you Literally. see all a bug's life. Fucking yeah. and, well, and again, you see, you do see that, that connection and that... Deep, even though even though they're kind of constantly crabbing at each other, that deep friendship between Flint and Taz here, because of the fact that as soon as the thing goes down and Taz Taz is stuck inside the thing, yeah. who's the one who's freaking out about everything? It's Flint. Right. Flint's the one freaking. We gotta get him out of there. We gotta do these right. stupid Kendergott. I do like these these love hate relationships always play well to me. I, yeah. I, I I do I do like them. But anyway, so they 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 escape this uh, right. But then they still got to face. I guess this is this is the end of the module. So we have yes. to face the big bad, right? Yes. Yes. Right. So we get to Zaxaroth, which is a city that was destroyed in this cataclysm. Again, in case you've forgotten, Kryn was destroyed by a cataclysm when. What we'll get to in other books, which it's spelled out better, the the king priest ends up uh, trying to become a god himself or something like this, uh, and causes this cataclysm to come destroy everything. It's essentially the apocalypse. The apocalypse has happened. Medieval post post apocalypse stuff. Uh, So the city has been destroyed, um, and there is this black dragon. His name is Kisanth, right? Um, and I think he's pretty cool. Uh, I guess what I love about him is that instead of breathing fire, this guy breathes like acid. He's like something from Alien, which would have been out at this time. So yes. this black alien with acid blood or spewing acid. Cool idea. Very that, cool that, idea. That is, that is how black chromatic dragons work. Right, right. They spew acid. Right. Red, so. red chromatic dragons breathe fire. Yeah. So yes. it's, a, again, holding to this this whole D&D uh, what's already groundwork that's already been laid out, right? Yes. Um, so uh, there's this well, right? The, he, this dragon comes out of the the well. He talks, right? Which uh, yes. you know, I wasn't sure up until this point. I, first time ever reading a Dragonlance novel. Do dragons talk in this universe? I had yes. no idea. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's this dragon is talking. Well, and yes. I liked the fact that he talked. Right. It wasn't just a telepathy thing to your brain. It, right. The actual dragon is up there in front of you forming words. Forming words and talking. Yes. Yeah, which talking. is cool. Dragons are, they're old, they're intelligent. Well, yes. Right. right. It should be said, though, at this point, right, that dragons are not something that people on Kryn know about. So Correct. This, they have yes. disappeared. So the fact that there's this black dragon is shocking to the group, right? Yeah. I don't even know if they really outline this well in the book. That I mean, these guys should be losing their stuff right now, that there is a dragon in front of it. It'd be like us walking down the street and, and seeing... God help us, a centaur. Uh, <laughs> right? That, that, uh, that it's that aspect of, of, of where these guys should be really taken back that there is a dragon here. And it's also a cool concept that's introduced here is the idea of dragon fear. That this dragon has, the, like, it causes people yeah, to. Yeah, it's this automatic magic that spews from the dragon yeah. that freaks you out because 
holy crap, it's a dragon. Right. Yeah. There's <laughs> listeners there that have been longtime D&D dealers that are like, this guy doesn't know anything. I don't. <laughs> I am not a, I am not a D&Der. No, I'm the guy nice. coming in just yes. reading this book no, and, and this, finding this yep. stuff cool. I like this dragon fear. Element. And what, what, what dragon fear was initially set up as is, um, well, one of the things it was initially set up as was it gave the D, it basically gave the DM another aspect to imp- to impound upon the players. Right. Because when you encounter a dragon in D&D, you automatically have... It, it, it gives you another excuse to roll your dice. Right, yes. right, right. It okay. gives you another excuse to roll your dice because now there's dragon fear, so now you have to see if you survive the dragon fear or if you go running into the woods like a little girl. But <laughs> but I think one of the cool aspects of this book, then, is, is where they're going to kind of... They're going to up it... Uh, to that kind of next level, and this book does this, where it, I feel it's written at kind of a low level. This is a great written at that kind of twelve-year-old, fifteen-year-old demographic. But the death uh, or the the killing, the dragon ends up killing uh, Riverwind, right? Okay, uh, so here is where where I started talking about this before. Yeah, uh, the staff and how it has yeah. limitations. Right. Until Riverwind's dead. Uh, yeah. Um, I I went from. Riverwind dies, and I'm like, holy cow, this this book, okay, so we got a bunch of characters, we can kill them, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm feeling kind of like Game of Thrones right yeah, now. We can kill some people you know? now. Yeah. Yeah, we can whittle I'm, them down. I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good. Yeah, but, but you look at it and you're like, you never thought, wait, this is this is the Native American priestess. <laughs> you can't kill the Native American priestess. Right. Her, her, her lover. Lover. Her lover. Oh, her lover. Yes. 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 Her lover. Her lover, sorry. But yes. You you can't you you can't kill the, these were the two people that everybody was supposed to protect and now you're just killing one right. of them. Well, and I'm thinking here I, I'm sitting here going I've been complaining the whole time. There's way too many characters. Yeah, let's start killing them and killing them gross, yes. right? Like I mean, he gets burnt into this. Like I can imagine as a twelve year old imagining this disgusting toxic Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just like all burnt and mangled his little hand up and everything because he got dumped on with this toxic acid and Cassandra ends up leaving the dragon leaves and they're there to have to mourn and pick up the disturbing remains yes. of, of Riverwind. And I'm I, okay with this. Yeah. I'm like, hey let's okay, kill him off. He was one too many anyway. I didn't think he had you already have Caramon, yeah. who is your barbarian. Yes. Why do you got this other barbarian named Riverwind? Well you gotta keep him around, I guess, for the love. So here we've got this staff that can, I guess, do it. Can't fix a concussion, exactly. but can yes. when and, and dumped on is, by acid. We, we are. We, this. we, we are, needed uh, that concussion because that concussion <laughs> gave him the vision. It's all just convenient plot contrivances. Again, I yeah, feel we, it's people just throwing fantasy elements into a soup. We're just gonna try to string it together. It's it's like some sort of uh, a Christmas wreath where we're just putting we're putting popcorn and we're putting this and just yeah. kind of throwing it on the we're, tree. I, I, and, I, for all by all means, why can't we reanimate the guy who was melted by acid? <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm right back in Darkenwood. Like, oh okay, something really cool. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm watching, you know, Marvel's Avengers Civil War, and there are no stakes in this. <laughs> yeah, nobody dies. Nobody dies. Nobody can die. Nobody dies. I don't need to worry about anybody dying. And honestly, at this point. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. I don't like this book, and I'm yeah. just reading it because we are gonna make a podcast. <laughs> right, 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 right. That that is where that that is where Luke is sitting right here at this point in the book. I think I remember this moment at work, walking into Luke's office and being like, <laughs> "I don't think I can do it. <laughs> I don't think I can do, do it." Do we have to do a whole trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> we have to read all three of them. Can we just start them on the trilogy? Yeah. yeah no, I, I'm with you. I'm with Either you. Either that, or the, it is the aspect too, and I can speak to this from games where. You've gone up to fight the big baddie, or you've gone up to fight the monster, and you rolled the one. 
Yep. Yeah. And yep. this was a total, but on Riverwind's part, this was the total, I, I went up to beat up the bad guy, I rolled a one, I got melted by acid. Okay, DM's got to figure out a way to bring me back. DM's got to figure out a way to bring me back. DM's got to figure out a way to bring me back. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so the uh, the dragon goes, uh, Riverwind is healed, and Goldmoon uh, uh, ends up, or Goldmoon ends up healing Riverwind, and we find out there's these discs of Meshikal, or Meshakal, uh, that need to be stolen from the dragon's lair, right? Um, and so they end up going deeper into Zaxaroth and finding this group of people who live in Zaxaroth called the Gully Dwarves. Oh, the Gully Dwarves. And they're, the gully they're, dwarves. Okay, thoughts uh, on these Gully I'm, I'm going to start off this topic on the Gully Dwarves by saying, again, like Darkenwood, where you have really cool aspects with these, you know, these ghost warriors, and then you throw in stupid things like centaurs and the last unicorn, Right. Uh, you have Zaxaroth, which is a destroyed city. It's It's got draconians in it. It's got a dragon in it. Granted, they must have just arrived there or something recently. I don't know. Uh, again, haven't read the backstory. All right? I'm talking about this book right yes. here. I feel yes. books need to be able to interpret themselves without reading all these backstories. Um, Gully Dwarves, to me, although, again, like a Kender, um, is, is a good kind of um, comic relief. When I'm reading about these guys and their their high bulk or whatever leader, I'm like, these people would all be dead. I, I don't know how I don't know how this society even lives. Like everybody is an idiot all, in this group. All I'm seeing with the gully dwarves is I am seeing Do you remember? Do you remember Fraggle Rock? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. All I'm seeing are like dirty little garbage Fraggle. Yeah, yeah, garbage. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. yes. Like, totally. yeah, this is the dumb. Get rid of these people. Yeah, yeah. Your name is not Bee Boop. <laughs> yeah, can I just yeah, boo boo, <laughs> what bapu bapu? I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't. We've gone with all these names. You know, we're naming these cities weird things. We've met all these like we've met five hundred people. Where this is Otiros, the the legendary barkeep of the Lost Tavern and the Soulless Nightlife. And now we have Bebop. This yeah, is, Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah, this is where the DM just got really tired of coming up with uh, really nice names, and they just went, uh, uh, Bebop, Bapu. whatever, let's keep going. Oh, who's Bapu's leader? I don't know, Fudge. This is the dumbest stuff ever. But at our darkest hour, when Luke is about ready to call it quits, I'm hating on this book, there is, for me, a personal high point where we get to this pot elevator. That okay. they have, okay? That was really cool. Where, where this whole idea of there's this giant boiling pot that is guarded by draconians, and it's they need to get to the lower level, and it goes down to the lower level, and, and they need to fight their way through this contraption. That part was cool. I completely... I am not a Dungeons & Dragons player. I could hear 20-sided dice rolling. <laughs> I'm like, this is, a, this is totally, uh, you know, a contrivance for the game. This happens... It, this has to happen oh, in one of those, oh, and, one of those games. And you're rolling to... I mean... You're rolling to hit. You're rolling yeah. dexterity to simply stand. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Banging down the shaft. You have a way for there to constantly be numbers arriving and yes, arriving. Exactly. I felt like a video game like this. This thing could be lowering and going up and down, and constantly draconians are coming out of it, and you have to fight through them all. Like uh, this has a very game quality to it. Yes. I'm okay with it though. After the low point, I felt I. I mean, we descended into the ruined cataclysm of uh, of this place. 
I descended into the ruined cataclysm of this book. I was like, <laughs> like, oh my Ouch. god, I, I that can't, was beautiful. I, I can't get out of this. Uh, and and this uh, this elevator lifted my spirits. Yeah, you, uh, you so know what? I you know, I, you know I'm hating on the book a little bit, but the gully dwarves are kind of they're kind of cute and silly. Right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I am. I feel there could have been such a better race or a better explanation of. The gully dwarves, like you said, they're dirty. They live in trash. They don't really eat anything. Right, they, they're dead. Yeah, uh, see, I they're can. Dead. Think about, there's they're no reason dead. Yep. Uh, they, they were kept. The draconians kept them as slave labor, but they're lazy, right. fat little things that wander around. You don't have lazy, fat little slaves. Right. If this was going to be turned into a book, if I was back in the nineteen or into a movie, and and I was back in the nineteen eighties, Jim Henson would be doing this. <laughs> this would be this would be just like Labyrinth. This would be like the Dark Crystal, where you'd have kind of cool moments and then kind of silliness with yeah. puppets and everything like that and it would work and we'd all love it and it'd be an instant classic. I, I, and that's kind of how I feel about it. I'm okay with Gully Dwarves when I have this 80s mentality of like it's a fun romp. through Gu- Gully Dwarves are know? just the minions of the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, ex- yes, they are. Exactly. So. I was pissed I though. I was so upset that they kept because once we finished the elevator scene and once we went through this they keep coming with him, and they keep yep. coming up, and I'm like, okay, just let him go. Let right. him stop at that scene. Right. And then Boo Boo falls in love with Raceland, which is there for no point other than to try to give Raceland some sort of human moment, and Raceland just comes off as a jerk, which let's bring up Raceland. Let's go deeper into his character. I'm hearing Raceland is a fan favorite. People love Raceland. They think he is the greatest character ever. Um... Th- I never connected with this guy. I, I didn't like him uh, at all. I, I, I didn't trust him. Um, and I'm going to... Tell me what you guys think of this. I'm going to put it this way. I feel that if you read these books when you were a teenager, Raceland's going to resonate with you hardcore. Oh, yeah. Because Raceland yeah. is that angsty, nobody understands me. Because uh, I'm so smart. Yeah, he even comes off as sometimes, you know, people be like, why are you reading that? Why do you want that book? It's coming up right here when he gets Mr. Yes. Magdalus' book. Like, why do you want right. that power? He's like, you don't understand me! Like, he gets this whole, like, you Raceland know. Raceland in 2010 would have totally had the bangs. He would have constantly yes. flipping over his right. shoulder <laughs> out of his eyes. And with the black nail polish and just the, I'm smarter than all of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you're this angsty teen reading this book, Raceland is going to be your guy. Coming to it as a late 30s dad, I'm a Tannis guy. I <laughs> mean, like, shut up, Raceland. Okay. And you're whining. I, You, you know, know what? I, being the kid in 2012 with the bangs and the, <laughs> and the black fingernail polish, I, I, I wouldn't say I relate to Raceland, mm-hmm. but I, I put up with him. I, right. uh, I tolerate him. I, on the other hand... Think Tannis is an insufferable douche. Yes, is he? <laughs> he because is. he is the dad figure. He is the dad. I, figure. You know, I don't yeah. know. No, I don't know if he's the dad. Sturm is the dad. I don't know if he's the. Uh, I, I think Sturm is the ideologue, where yeah. he is like cutting the very straight path that nobody can really. No, really nobody can do to. it. Yeah. Nobody can do it. Yeah. Camera, you know, He's I, the pastor's kid that's with your group that's like really holding you to like the strong moral code. And, and But you like him and you trust him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, and I liked the whole, again, like I said earlier, I liked the dichotomy between the twins. 
right. between Caramon oh, so good. and so good. And I think it's the best I, written stuff I, as gosh. far as character yeah. development. Yeah. In the I like the two sides of the same coin idea between yeah. them, and especially as we look as we learn stuff later on too. But I like that symbiotic relationship, right. and we start to see things about, and we start to learn stuff in in here in book one about you know things that. Caramon has given up in his life right. because he has to take care of his brother. Correct. Right. And Caramon's Caramon's undying love for his brother made me a whole more a whole lot more sympathetic to Raslin as a character. Right. And and this is why I don't blame uh, Hickman and Weiss on this. These guys are writing this beholden to the game modules. They have to get all these guys in. I'll tell you, uh, after this book, they have to cut ties. They cut ties with the game modules, and they're free to do whatever they want. I'll tell you, they finish out this this trilogy. They go to the next trilogy, which is Legends. They know that Raslin and Caramon are the are what you want to hear about. That's what that Legends trilogy is about. It's okay. the relationship of Raisin and Caramon. It's the best stuff in this book. It's what the next trilogy is about. Uh, so I don't fault the authors for, for, for having to throw all this other kind of needless stuff, and I guess, in here. I will give Luke credit for making me be a lot more sympathetic toward Raisin, too, is uh, Luke, Paul, and I are actually currently involved in a campaign with there are 14 of us right now yeah, yeah. that are playing in that we, campaign. We have a regular old Dragonlance party. <laughs> yeah, right. which we are playing a 3.5 D&D um, campaign that we've been playing for the last year and a half. Right. Luke plays, we call him the Glass Cannon, because he's, the ma- he's, he's a very powerful mage who he can't take a hit. Gosh, no. He can't take like a hit to his to himself, but he will blow everybody up. And right. so that's your D and D character. Mm-hmm. Yep. In yeah, our definitely. in our campaign is a lot of what I saw of who of what I saw in my head when I was picturing Rasslin. And actually a kind of a takeoff of your Thorm, oh, absolutely. of your Thorm character Ka- was Caramon. Caramon and Thorm are that is why I liked Caramon. I also enjoyed Flint a lot because similar aspects because of mm-hmm. the character I've already played, where it was He's a big old tank who's not the brightest. Correct. But man, is he fun to play. Yes. Well, and hopefully, I, I, hopefully I, everybody listening knows what D and D is all about. Because <laughs> we are now devolve, devolving into yes. character profiles yes. from D and D games. Uh, but I do like in chapter nineteen uh, that we get an actual swear word. Ooh, um, from is that the uh, first one? Gully Gully Dwarf swear. Uh, gulp fudger. Ooh, <laughs> I'm gonna use that. So one. you can start using gulp fudger out there. Um, but anyway, so we we do also learn in here. Uh, we get kind of, I guess, insinuations about the actual big bad here, which is uh, High Lord Verminard. Yes. Um, which is, I guess, the guy that needs to be defeated. In, in and again, one. what a lazy name. Oh, yeah. Oh, we've come up with yes. all of this stuff for this day. Yeah. Um, what, what, what should we call these guy? He's he's real vermin. Yeah, um, yeah, vermin, vermin, ver- verminar. Yeah, and we'll put, even, two, we'll put two A's next to each other. That way, it'll look fancy. Yeah, and see, and I can't fancy. help, I can't help but seeing, and this is really for me going to come out in the final fight at the end of this book. But yeah, you got. I mean, this is fantasy. Of course, you're going to call him like High Lord or something. But Lord Verminard, I can't help but think the largest science fiction trilogy has just come out. Finished its thing a year ago, Star Wars, and this is Lord Vader. Okay. I mean, he's yeah. he's wearing black. He's got a black cape. He's got a Death's Head mask. I mean, this guy is the fantasy Lord Vader. Um, and and just like the first Star Wars movie, these guys were told that this needed to be all. This first book needed to be standalone in case 
Nobody liked it. Mm-hmm. And this was all they had. So this needed to be one little arc, and we're going to fight Vader at the end of it. I mean, if you're going to throw everything out there. You're going to have a black-clad Death's Helmet Darth Vader at the end of this. And that's who Verminard is uh, to me. But anyway, um, they go to this high bulb. Ugh. Who has a useless map uh, that he says uh, he can get to the to to the back of Takesis's lair to get these these uh, discs of Meshackle? Okay, I started tuning out in some of this stuff. Yeah. Yep. What is the point of these discs? What what even becomes of these? I mean, they're looking for these discs. They're told the discs are important. Is it wrong oh, that yeah. every time so every time the discs were mentioned or they me- mentioned some mythical properties of the golden discs, I, I immediately went to Mormonism. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. oh my God. Okay, okay. Let's let this is a perfect place to bring it out. Tracy Hickman, in all of his annotation, comes out very blatantly as saying that he is very strong, a strong Mormon. Oh, sir. oh, you really? nailed it! You nailed yes. it, Klaus. He is a very wow. strong Mormon. I totally I went that. to. They're gonna get these discs, yes. and only one person is gonna be able to yes. read them, and nobody else is going to. And maybe it'll be through a hat. I, I feel. I feel <laughs> that the discs go away. We, they never come back after this book, I believe. I, I, I there is a little bit in book two. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah and I don't ever. I don't ever get a sense of what these are supposed to be for. I do feel this is definitely Tracy. Taking um, from his own, they do. Own there, there's a little bit of talk, um, and it's kind of how they, um, and I, I might be pulling this from book two. Um, it's how uh, what's his name, Elliston? Yes. Um, it's how he kind of learns to become a cleric of Paladin. Oh, I, yeah, and I got stuff to say when we get there okay. about yeah. this Elliston yeah, uh, guy. But yeah, no. And throughout this, there's naming structures. Even as we get into the other books, there's 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 names of towns and stuff like that that are, are directly from the Bible. Um, and there's structures to some of this that are definitely allusions to to Christian spirituality. I'm not going to fault the book for that um, at, at all, but it definitely comes through. I, I was with you, Club, as soon as I read it. But I knew reading this and reading the annotations mm. as I went the first time. This is this is more. These are Mormon Mormon. Well, and I feel, like, I feel like this section too is a little bit of lazy DMing. Yeah. There's a magical trap door in the bottom of the safe. <laughs> what? Right. right. Like, what? What kind of crappy dragon security does he have going here? If in the bottom of if if there's a door that you can open in the bottom of his vault, and he has no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they get this, uh, this whole chapter, chapter 19, is weighed down by this stupid, uh, I'm sorry, this is my opinion, stupid romance between River Moon, Love Wind. <laughs> River Moon, <laughs> Love Wind. These guys just, ah, uh, they're, they're just, when you see two teenagers standing in a hallway in a yep. school, just looking at each other into their eyes, just spewing meaningless crap at each other, this is what these two characters yeah. do to me. When these guys, uh, Weiss and Hickman, write love scenes, oh man, I wonder. They're did very, they do this to their significant others? Because it is it is over the top and just they're ridiculous. They're very contrived. Oh. They're very contrived. I will give you that. I did. I it kind of made that this scene, this idea of this love scene here. It did kind of make them more less static. More or less. It did kind of make them less of static characters. For right. Me. Right. Rather than just being the noble savages in the background. <laughs> right. It did at least give a little bit of like, okay, we're gonna play with the class system here because you're from a warrior class and I'm from the royal class, and that's why there was an issue with our love. And, okay, I can see how you're playing with that, but you're right. The writing is absolutely. Right. Right, right, 
Right. Okay, so let's end this first part. Uh, the first half of this book ends with your final module fight, right? Yes. The final Takesis battle. Um, they enter the lair. The dragon casts his spell of darkness. Uh, I like this, though. There's like, I, I, in my mind, again, things are kind of happening fast. Maybe I'm speed reading through this part, but Rayson's like gets pinned onto an altar underneath the dragon's claw. Like the dragon's holding him down and kind of talking smack to everybody else in the group, right? Something like that. Um, and he's trying to get the blue staff, right? He's yes. using Raceland's life to barter for the for the blue staff. Um, uh, boy, uh, I, I kind of like this part. At the same time, there's weird things that happen here with Goldmoon. Again, this magic staff of hers can just do anything it wants. Yeah, this yep. was, uh, I mean, me already having issues with River Moon. Or River Moon. Gosh, you guys got me going. River, <laughs> River Wind. Gold Moon Love Wind. Gold Moon Love Wind. Uh, the, the, it might, with my already existing issues, um, you know, I had a little bit of fun with the, reading about the Gully Dwarves. Was kind of really trying not to barf during the River Moon Gold Moon Love part there. Um you know, and, the, and then this battle starts happening. You know, Raceland's pinned down. He might die. And then Goldmoon sacrifices herself, I guess, using the staff. I, in my head, like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm being pulled back in. I'm, I'm being tricked. I'm being pulled back yeah, in. Yeah, like, you're thinking she's oh. dead. I mean, I'm, I'm, think, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, thinking that she's dying now. Either either Raceland's gonna, oh my god, Raceland's gonna die. Right. Oh my god, Goldmoon died. And I'm like, I swear to God, if she comes back to life and they go, they go back upstairs and she's just fine, and I'm like, okay. okay it was, it was. It, 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 but it was that whole thing again where I could see the DM, I could see the DM working and the DM going, oh, she rolled a one, I had to kill her. Right. But... God, I don't want to go through the time of watching. Okay, and here's me coming at it. I'm just reading this book, and those of you who have read all the backstories, I, I am just a person reading this for enjoyment. I don't even know, like, where did she come from? I thought she was dead, and all of a sudden she's there. There's portions of this writing where it's like, I don't know if it doesn't lend itself to all entering the brain because it's so disjointed in its style, but I'm like, wait, Goldmoon's back. <laughs> like, like, where'd you go? And she just died. Goldmoon's back. And her staff is gone. It's a part of a statue now. I, I don't even yeah. know. There's parts of this I don't even know what happened, and I know there's probably people s throwing their phones and screaming at their uh, at their speakers as to what happened. I'm telling you, if you're just a layperson picking this book up off the shelf, there are things here that happen and, that you're just like. Uh, and during this whole confrontation, when the dragon has Raceland underneath its claws, Raceland's setting up to do like this big, you know, kamikaze explode himself spell and take out the dragon. Right. And all of a sudden, Goldmoon's telepathic? Yeah. And see, I don't want paragraphs yeah. of backstory of people <laughs> like, explaining... What? I don't want paragraphs of backstory of people explaining what happened here. The writers have, have done a bad job. This book uh, should be self-contained. It should be self-contained. Yep. Like anything else, you come to this book, everything needs to be explained within its pages. You shouldn't need to go to game modules. You shouldn't have to read online content. You shouldn't have to read backstories. If I'm not getting it from this chapter, you failed. You failed at this one. Yep. Game you over. You know, um, and, and at the end of this, there are cool aspects to this final fight. Um, the whole place starts caving in. They all have to flee, right? Um, which is exciting. Which yeah, is exciting. All of this is Indiana Jones-ish. It, it's yeah, coming out of fleeing the collapsing temple. It's great. But then it leaves me. The, 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 this book splits into two parts, what they call book one and book two of... Of book one. Of book one. Um, and this end of book one, again, 
I have no idea. They decide to go back to Solace. Uh, these because, well, they, why not? These characters well, have no direction. They're meandering around Kryn with absolute... They're bumbling idiots. I don't understand what any of them are they, doing. The, but now they've got discs. Now well, they, have yeah, discs. they have discs. They completed Tan their mission. So why Tannis is from Solace. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was just... I'm like, well, they, they got the discs. They don't know what to do. Let's go home. Yeah, but that, to me, and that's the thing yeah. is they they had all lived in Solace. Right. Yeah. At, they had all lived in Solace right. before they went on their five year excursion. And, and to me, this is the failure of the structure of this book. Is you are setting up this epic struggle. Dragons have returned to Kryn. The gods are coming back. There's this dark goddess that is controlling them. Right. This is epic. Towns are falling. People are dying. Right. And you have a group of freaking crazy amounts of heroes. Right. That are on some sort of mission that you don't understand. Understand, and still, by the end of chapter 22, have no idea what they're doing and are just like, I'll go home. Like, this to me is, well, is failure of writing 101, and this is because they're holding to these, these Dungeons and Dragons. To me, it's because they're holding to, to writing a game module that they have to reset to zero, they have to start back at the tavern. If I think if you're a D&D fan and have played a lot, you're going to forgive this. And if you're coming this to this just for a novel, this to me is unforgivable. This is just, you're at chapter 22, your characters are directionless. They, they don't even know what the mission is. At they are. They're, dire they're directionless. They don't know what the mission is. But again, that is a D&D &D thing. Is when do you, exactly. What do you do when you don't know where else to go? Go to a tavern. Go to the bar. That might be have to be the name of this episode, <laughs> Dragons of Autumn Twilight. It's a D&D &D thing. <laughs> because if you're not a big D&D &D fan and, and have the comfortableness or the familiarity of these are like the campaigns I play, this is like the fun times I have with my friends, if you're coming at this looking for a, a, a nice tight plot and storyline, Holy crap, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of problems with what happens in this. And I can see how some people are going to give this an extremely high review and other people are going to have a lot of problems with this. So, but that even, even having a lot of problems with it, I did still enjoy book one of book one. Book one of book of one. Dragons of Autumn Tyler. And, and I will say I enjoyed this one too. We'll see at the end what our final reviews are for this. But that so far is the end of book one of the Dragons of Autumn Twilight. All right, well, we have gone long on this one, so we are going to split this one, I think, into two parts. So We're, we're going to have to. This one's getting a little a little long here, but, I mean, I'm enjoying this. I, we really, we're diving into this. We're really getting to the meat of what this book is about and what our, what our gripes are and what we love about it. I mean, this is, this is awesome, but, hey, I think it's kind of time to settle up our tab and get out of here. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, hey, come back and join us for part two of this review. Yeah, yeah, sounds right. good. Hey, what's what you doing after this? Thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeons and Dweebs. There's even more adventuring to be had on our website, dungeonsanddweebs.com. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at dungeonsanddweebspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Dungeons and Dweebs on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find all of those links and more at DungeonsAndDweebs.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. The music for Dungeons & Dweebs is Final Fight by Royalty Free Kings and can be found at their website, RoyaltyFreeKings.com. 
Dungeons and Dweebs is a Tim Gilbert Media Production, copyright 2017. All rights reserved, and no part of the show can be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the expressed written consent of Tim Gilbert Media Incorporated.